Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora, always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast Season 14, Episode number 56. He's Dave Ryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Wednesday, Steelers Nation. Day pretty busy show today. I have a special guest we'll talk about in just one moment. Mike Tomlin speaking to the media on Tuesday, players after their victory Monday, and scheduled day off Tuesday. Back at practice today for Wednesday as we are beginning to focus on the Arizona Cardinals this Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern time at Acrisure Stadium. Dave, how you doing? Happy Wednesday. Uh, doing very well. It is Cardinals week. I, I posed this question on, on Twitter uh, yesterday afternoon. Uh, where were you, Alex, when the uh, uh, when Ben Roethlisberger threw that game-winning touchdown to San Antonio Holmes against the Cardinals in the Super Bowl? Do you remember right where you were at? Yeah, I was at my uh, best friend's house from high school, I think in his uh his basement. It was one of those really nice finished basements that you were jealous of as a as a poor kid growing up mm. and uh that's a uh, a memory you will not forget. Yeah, that's uh it's one of those moments where I think that and the uh, James Harrison <laughs> uh return there everybody remembers where they were at that time I think, but uh obviously don't play the Cardinals but once every four years right now and uh had even looked back the last time that they did uh to see who who we had on and i think it's bob mcmanaman man uh and we reached out to him and i think we're going to have him on the friday show so good to catch up with him after uh four years later but uh first and foremost we had the mike tomlin press conference on tuesday and some injury updates. I think we've had a transaction uh, since then. So I, I think we've got a little bit to talk about today. Yeah. And before we get into that, we'll have a special guest a little bit later in today's show. We'll be speaking with John Harris, who used to cover the Steelers for the trip and just has a new book out on Mike Tomlin. It's called Tomlin, the soul of, of a football coach, the forward written by Tony Dungy biography on Tomlin's life with a ton of great details, especially on the early days of Mike Tomlin, his first coaching job uh, growing up in Virginia and just, you know, the, the, the road and the path that he took to come to Pittsburgh. So it's a really good book. Uh, Dave and I have read it and we'll talk with John and kind of get some more perspective a little bit later in the show. But to pick up where you left off, Dave, Pittsburgh making a couple of practice squad moves, one swap yesterday, signing wide receiver Jacob Copeland to the practice squad and releasing safety Jalen Elliott. Copeland had been on the roster earlier this year. Uh, Elliott had spent time in camp with Pittsburgh. Probably a sign here that A, Minka Fitzpatrick is you know going to practice and, and uh, poised to play, as Mike Tomlin indicated at his press conference, and maybe an indication that Calvin Austin with that ankle injury that we'll talk about more also in a moment uh, may miss some time at the start of the week. So just a minor practice squad note there. Yeah, I think uh, you read into it pretty good there. Well, obviously, see, we, we've been surprised before, but I, I think you read the tea leaves uh, real well. Uh, Copeland, he's the Pensacola boy, and he's from my neck mm -hmm. of the woods. He's the, uh, I think he, wasn't he the one, he was at the Shrine Bowl. I think Dr. Mel and Joe and Josh and Owen 
a couple of those, maybe uh, talk to him together there. So uh, back on the, on the practice squad. And, and, and like you said, probably a sign that uh, uh, Calvin Austin, the third might be slowed at the start of the week uh, with the ankle injury, but uh, overall Mike Tomlin's tone uh, about, about the health of the team seems pretty good, right? Yeah. I think overall Pittsburgh for the guys who are on the 53, obviously some guys on injured reserve, but overall uh, I think the team's in a pretty good spot health wise. And so to go to Mike Tomlin's presser on Tuesday, I I know he's been optimistic for many weeks about Minka Fitzpatrick, but it sounds like there's actually going to be tangible progress. He says, quote, got the light on for Minka and Mon Adams. That's of course, those tackle Montrevious Adams. Both guys will be participants on some level tomorrow, referring to uh, today. And then Tomlin said they'll kind of let that participation be our guy throughout the rest of the week. But it does sound like Minka Fitzpatrick will practice in some capacity, limited full. We're not quite sure of yet, but that'll be his first time practicing since his week eight hamstring injury. You know, for him missing all uh, uh, these these last four games, he's still second. He's tied for second on the team in total tackles behind uh, Landon Roberts uh, at this point. And he's tied with uh, Cole Holcomb, who, of course, is, has been uh, lost for the season right now. So that's how many tackles uh, uh, Mika was, uh, ha- had to make before going down injured. Once again, he's missed the last four four games. So it, it, it will be good to and hopefully this comes to fruition. They get him back on the field uh against the uh against the cardinals players were optimistic Demonte casey had said a couple days ago that they thought minka was going to come back for the cardinals game we'll see hamstrings are still tricky of course ryan we had a setback while he was practicing um hopefully that won't be the case here pittsburgh seems to be extra cautious with minka fitzpatrick and so we'll have hopefully uh see him out there on the practice field on wednesday a couple other injury notes here uh, kenny pickett dealing with ankle discomfort Per Mike Tomlin uh, may limit him early in the week. He may be limited today. Not entirely sure there, but no indication that's going to impact his status for Sunday against Arizona. Calvin Austin seems to have avoided a serious ankle injury, um, but may be dinged up and not entirely sure what his status is going to be for this weekend. Tomlin gave me a heart attack, though, when he talked about it. He said, Calvin Austin had an ankle injury in game, but 24, 48 hours later, it looks significantly better. When he said, when he said it looks significant, I went, oh my goodness, <laughs> Tomlin, yeah. no. And he, he, he pulled the okie doke on me there, but it um, seems to be that Austin did not su- uh, suffer a serious injury, but we're not quite sure what his status for this week will look like. Yeah, I, I would imagine there's probably going to be, what, five or six names on that uh, injury report uh, to, to, to start the week. And then hopefully it goes down to uh, next to nothing by the, by the end of the week. So we'll, we'll see which way it goes. Yeah, I know the Cardinals on their end, their first injury report will come out today. I know they lost a corner against the Rams, Sterling Thomas. I think it's actually one of Owens' guys. I yeah. think he got hurt in that game, and they've lost a couple of inside backers. Kaiser White is out for the year, so we'll know more about their injury situation today. But uh, they've been dealing with some injuries. Of course, though, at quarterback, Kyler Murray is back and uh, fully healthy. Yep. All right, Mike Tomlin's presser. Beyond the injuries, what else caught your eye and ear from Tomlin's presser? Uh, let me pull it up here. You know, he talked, uh, we, and when we talked in our initial recap of the game, uh, on Monday about special teams and how that component, uh, really didn't play well as a whole, you know, outside of, you know, obviously Chris Boswell, I thought, I thought, uh, Presley Harvin, uh, 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 punted well in that game, but the coverage units just, just worked great over there. And, uh, in that game and Mike Tomlin, you know, talked about that and how field position, you know, played a big part in uh, 
you know, big, big couple, big returns, set them up in some good field position. So that's first and foremost, uh, what stuck out to me. Uh, obviously he went on to talk about the, uh, Cardinals and built them up as a, a Super Bowl contender and, uh, talked about James Conner and saying, you can't let James Conner do what James does. And that's really power running. Right. You know, uh, mm-hmm. so, uh, the, you know, you would, you would, there, there are two two factors, I think, and, and we'll get into this obviously more on Friday leading into this game, but you can't let Ky- Kyler Murray run around on you all, all over the place, and you can't, you got to shut down uh, that running game. And if they're able to do that and uh, probably stick Joey Porter Jr. on Hollywood Brown, don't let him have any big plays, that, that's probably going to be the, the game plan in a nutshell. Uh, when it comes to Arizona. So, I mean, he spent a lot of time really talking about uh, uh, Arizona overall there. Uh, Let's see, trying to think what else. He was asked about Kenny Pickett and said, did you like the way that Kenny Pickett both attacked downfield and the accuracy, uh, which he did? He said, I did, I did. And then he went off – he went on to kind of take take a little bit of shine off of uh, Kenny, I thought, and said – Look, Pat Fryermuth was back, and uh, uh, the relationship that Kenny has uh, with 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 Kenny Pickett, particularly in the middle of the field, is kind of what you know helped facilitate all that, I guess, if you will. So I didn't like the fact that he kind of took a, a little bit of. I wish he would have went more into yeah, you know, Kenny was great, uh, uh, or you know, better than he's been, you know, he did give the, I did, I did. It's also, I mean, he said encouraging things from that perspective, but I, I just don't like that. He took the shine off right away and went right back to Pat Frymuth, which, hmm. well, uh, uh, look, Pat Frymuth had a hell of a game and that was good to see. And that's what you want out of, out of, uh, your top tight end, uh, like that. But uh, I, I thought Mike Tomlin could have gone a little bit more in depth about the game that, uh, that Kenny Pickett had, uh, overall. Yeah, I'm I'm sure he could have, but I think Tomlin has the idea of, you know, quarterbacks get too much blame. They don't always, and they probably get too much credit. So I think the question was framed around the middle of the field aspect of it. And so that's why Tomlin pivoted towards, well, you had one of your, you know, really top middle of the field type guys to to be an asset over that uh, portion of the field. So that's my interpretation. I think Kenny's okay. I think he got the win. He's happy. He played well. So I'm sure uh, Pickett's uh, just fine with, with Tomlin's comments. Sure, there. But, sure. But yeah, James Conner, just to, to touch on that, he's having a great season. He's averaging over five yards per carry, was injured, and that's always been the, the bugaboo with him. But uh, his, his, his return to Pittsburgh, first game back uh, playing in Pittsburgh since leaving the Steelers, and that's going to probably motivate him quite a bit. Yeah, I bet he's going to be really pumped. I know a lot of fans will probably be glad to see him as well, too. I expect a pretty good uh, reception for him uh, overall. I mean, he's still you know, very beloved, I, w- I would think there. But, uh, yeah, you can't let him run downhill on you because that's, that's what he does best. And he's a touchdown scorer. Isn't that what uh, Mike Tomlin called him? Well, he had, what, like 16, 17 his first mm-hmm. year in Arizona? Only two this year, but uh, the Cardinals offense has been not producing much, obviously. I, I don't want to spend a tremendous amount of time on this. And, and frankly, for me personally, I'm kind of over, I, I'm, I'm past this story at least, but Deontay Johnson, of course, Mike Tomlin was asked about that and the, the no effort on the Jalen Warren fumble and Tomlin. I thought he was going to brush that answer aside going into that press conference, but he was pretty upfront and pretty candid about uh, his response to, to that uh, question. So let me get the uh, quote here from Tomlin. He says, Deontay can't let the emotions of the previous down affect his next down, but I'll give him an opportunity to address that with you guys. I'll give him an opportunity to address that with his teammates. 
I'm not going to add any additional color. I think plays like that are best described and outlined by those involved and less so by guys like me. And then essentially just reiterated that he's going to let Johnson talk to the media and address all those things. According to ESPN's Jeremy Fowler, Johnson has already spoken with teammates and was very apologetic and, and owned up to that play. And I think everyone else is moving, moving past that. So right to be critical of it, but there is a time to move on and say, okay, let's correct it and not make that mistake again. And that's my approach with Deontay Johnson. Yeah, he he specifically said address it with, I think, the media as well, too, right? So mm-hmm. uh, hopefully that happens uh, as we speak right now or a little bit later today. I would hope he he he's part of the uh, uh, group that, that, you know, has his kind of standalone, you know, presser, if you will. And if, if indeed that's the case, man, I'd like to see him just come right out and say, look, I was frustrated from the play before I let that, we, we all know what happened, right? Mm-hmm. We, we yep. said, we, we said that this was, you know, despite the win and, and look, he did rebound in that game. We gave him kudos for that because he had a couple of big catches after that. So at least it didn't ruin him from, from that point forward in the game after, after a rough, uh, uh, start there, uh, it would behoove him to come out and answer the questions as short as possible, in my opinion. But within that, say, look, I've addressed it with my teammates. Uh, you know, I, I was wrong there. I let the previous play boil over into the next play. Uh, I was wrong. Give, what, what does Mike Tomlin say? Give them, give them the, uh, the ounce of meat that they're looking for. Or, pound of flesh. Or pound of flesh. There you go. Go ahead and give them the pound. Give them a pound and a half. It's Christmas. <laughs> You know, uh, <laughs> okay. uh, I, I think that would be his best course of action today and just, just take it all on himself. Take, you know, take whatever he gets from the, the articles that'll come out from it and then, then move on early in the week, get it done on Wednesday and get it behind you. So it doesn't, uh, 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 roll over into the weekend. Right. Just own it, accept the mistake take responsibility and move on. And I think he he will do that today when he speaks with the media seems to have done that with his teammates already. So yeah, what it came down to, we said Monday to me, it was not like what happened was he was still in his head about that play before Mm -hmm. the, you know, almost touchdown, probably wondering, Hey, Tom, why didn't you challenge this? You know, what happened on that play? And so he's just kind of zoning out and he stacks bad plays. And that's always been his biggest hang up. You know, they Johnson mentally, you know, but with, with drops a couple of years ago, he dropped one pass and he would ruin him for the rest of the game, just trying to overcome that type of stuff. So can you not repeat these mistakes? That's going to be critical, but I will say with Deontay, this stuff has happened before. I posted a clip of 2021, not as obvious or as egregious, but a turnover against the Bengals where he was on the other sideline, not even attempt to run after the football. And Najee Harris, who was standing basically next to him, ran across the field, made the tackle, saved the touchdown and held Cincinnati to a field goal. Um, and so just, we've seen a pattern of these kind of moments with Johnson and they have to stop. Well, uh, he's got one year left on his contract, uh, after, (laughs) after this year, there's, you know, I see a lot of people on, on Twitter and, 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 you know, people trying to write and talk on a talk radio about, they should get rid of them. I'm, I'm not to that point yet, you know, uh, with him. I, I do agree that this stuff is happening, you know, uh, more than you'd like to talk about with him, but I, I still think at at the core, he's a he's a good receiver, and you know there there would be a, a a dead money issue. And look, you'd have to replace him somehow, 
you know, via, via the draft or free agency. I just, I, I can't buy into the talk right now that this should be his last season in Pittsburgh. Sure. I mean, I've not spent much time thinking about it in season. Nothing's going to happen right now, obviously. Um, but I don't have a particularly strong pull of feeling like I want to get rid of this guy after the season. I still think he's supremely talented. He can be frustrating at times for yeah. a variety of reasons. There's no question about that. But in terms of his route running separation, ability to make some really incredible catches, and you're right, that skill set's going to be difficult to replace. So um, I, I think he's still worth more to Pittsburgh as an asset than, than a liability. But I understand certainly these moments are very frustrating. What a difference that one play could have made in 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 that game, right? If you look look back uh, at it overall, I mean, if he Johnson scores there, if they yeah, a touchdown, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, he goes from probably being a, a hero of the game to now the opposite. Right, right. And anyway, it'll be interesting to see what he has to say later today. Yeah, and I know some people are tired of the story, and I get it. I think sometimes these things get harped on a little too, uh, a little bit too much. But uh, once Johnson speaks, we're going to write about it, of course, because we do want to hear from from the man himself. Um, but hopefully, this thing can get put to bed, and, and a good game on Sunday would do us all a lot of good. Yeah, stay off first take and and all these shows. I'll only have them talk about you if it's a positive. Boy, Deontay mm-hmm. had a big, big, big game. Uh, that's that's usually a good sign. For sure. All right. What else from Mike Tomlin during his press conference should note as well as another piece of news that Tomlin was asked about uh, pro football hall of fame announced the 25 semifinalists for the 2024 uh, class. And there were two Steelers part of that group, the same two as last year and wide receiver Heinz Ward and outside linebacker, James Harrison. The question of course is, can they advance to that final 15 uh, Ward's been a semifinalist now is this is his eighth time. So the last seven times he's never made it to that final 15 I don't expect that to, to change this year, considering the logjam at wide receiver. And it appears that Torrey Holt, Reggie Wayne, Andre Johnson, all ahead of Deontay Johnson because they all advanced to the final 15 last year. Debo, we'll see. But Mike Tomlin, speaking to the media, made his case for Heinz Ward and compared him to John Lynch and said stats do not tell the story of the impact he made. And then Big Ben on the uh, morning show on DBE yesterday talked about James Harrison and how you know quarterbacks feared him why he should be in the Hall of Fame. So your reaction to those comments, and do you think either guy has a chance to at least advance that that final list this year? Yeah, at this point, can we stop the podcast and go back and pull what we had recorded, you know, about this time last year? I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, 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 look, uh, what Mike Tomlin said about Heinz Ward is 100% true. What Ben Roethlisberger said about James Harrison is 100% uh, true. These are two guys that uh, you, you root for and you can make very good arguments for them being in the Hall of Fame uh, and particularly as, as part of this class. Uh, I just I don't think it's going to happen, Alex. I, I, I just don't. And uh, it, it to me, it feels like and I know, I know you feel the same that you will know, we'll be uh, with Hines Ward, particularly you know, this might end up being a veteran uh, committee thing at some point, you know, th- that that gets gets him in either that or this log jam starts getting cleared out uh, fairly fast. But then you got the guys coming in, right? you know, uh, uh, behind them, you know, the the, the, the new generation, uh, if you will. Look, I mean, without and, and we I've tried to make this clear. And I know you have as well over the years. Look, I mean, there's a post on the site somewhere back in the early days of Steers Depot where I, you know, I wrote that he's, he's slam dunk 
you know, uh, Heinz Ward Hall of Famer, you know, but uh, the deeper you get into this, doing this and and the, and the more ob- ob- objective and, and realistic uh, that, that you try to be when you look at it at its core and, and, and the list of, you know, players that he's going up against, it's just and the number that that's allowed to get chosen every year to get in, it's just, it's hard to imagine. That does not say that I don't think he's deserving. Uh, It's just, I think it's going to be another one of those, not this time. The math is not mathing as the kids say with all the receivers ahead. And you're right. Even if that log jam gets eventually broken up and Johnson, Wayne Holt get in, there's going to be a pile of receivers right behind. And then a increasingly more modern era of, you know, gaudier stats and more explosive passing offenses it's going to be harder and harder for ward to compete against that so i don't think really anything's going to change this year uh, to be honest with you i think harrison you know i i thought last year he had a pretty good shot and obviously him not advancing to that final ballot says something but there's less of a log jam there and just that that peak of dominance that he had was more than what ward had during his you know true prime ward had the, the longer career obviously start to finish um, Harrison didn't start until he was 29, 30 years old, but that peak of dominance in 2007, 2008 uh, was as good as anybody over that time. So there's, there's a better chance, I think, for Harrison, but I'm pretty lukewarm on him, you know, even making it to this final 15. Man, you read off the the uh, the, the the names here. Uh, Eric Allen, Jared Allen, Will, Willie Anderson, Tiki Barber, Anquan Bolden, Jari Evans, London Fletcher, Dwight Freeney, Antonio Gates, Eddie George, James Harrison, Rodney Harrison, Devin Hester, Tory Holt, Andre Johnson, Robert Mathis, Julius Peppers, Steve Smith Sr., Fred Taylor, Heinz Ward, Ricky Waters, Reggie Wayne, Vince Wilfork, Patrick Willis, Darren Woodson. That, that's some... Those some those some big time names up in there, you know. Uh, not that Heinz Ward and, and and James Harris don't belong in that group. It's just you, you pick what five out of there, right? Yeah, I think it's four to nine is the the range of names that can be voted to to make the Hall of Fame. Um, I would assume that there's got two notable first time eligible players on the ballot: Antonio Gates and Julius Peppers. I'm guessing both are going to make it first ballot. So. Harrison competing against Peppers, that's going to be, you know, he's going to lose that battle in all likelihood. And then Gates will make it as well. So those, those are two spots I'm going to kind of tab or spoken for, which is going to make obviously the path more narrow. I mean, I know we're talking about the list of 15. And so, you know, there's, there's more opportunity there. But point is, it's a pretty crowded field. Yeah, it says the modern era player finalist will be trimmed during the meeting from 15 to 10 and then from 10 to 5. Uh, the remaining five finalists will be voted on individually, yes or no, and must receive the same 80% positive vote as the coach contributor and seniors finalist uh, to earn election to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Okay, so it is five. I, I thought I read something that there was a range, but maybe I'm misremembering or reading old material or something. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's five. That's what they have okay. on on on, okay. on on the site here. Yeah. So again, I think Gates Peppers are going to be two of those five, leaving three spots left. I don't know who those are going to go towards, but I don't think it'll be, I'm very confident it will not be Heinz Ward. And I'm pretty positive it's not going to be James Harrison either. I think uh, realistically, the next Steeler in the Pro Football Hall of Fame might be Ben Roethlisberger. I think you're right about that, Dave, for sure. Uh, Marquis Pouncey may get in someday, but he'd have to be first ballot to beat Ben. And I don't think that's going to happen. All right. 
All right. What else for Mike Tomlin? Anything else there? I, I like his comments about, you know, defensive communication and Demonte Casey and kind of gave a shout out to Casey for, you know, kind of holding the fourth down when you've had injuries to Neil and Micah Fitzpatrick and uh, just to have a veteran guy back there with a bunch of young guys is, is pretty important. Yeah. And I like the backhanded compliment <laughs> or backhanded bit of that, uh, that Tomlin tacked on there as well, too. He's good at that, right? Uh, giving a yeah. guy some praise. And then as he sends them out the door, kind of, hey, you know, uh, that, that, that was a subtle, uh, don't, don't, don't read in. I know you're going to hear these comments. Don't, uh, don't read, don't inflate yourself too much here because at the end of it, uh, Mike Thomas said, wish he had caught one or two of them balls. He got a hand on last week, but we're working, uh, uh, there. So, uh, but I mean, look, the, the communication uh, is one thing that we we've talked about quite a bit over the years, and it sounds like he's doing good in that area. I uh, liked how he kind of highlighted the big brother, little brother situation that 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 Casey's got going on with Joey Porter uh, Jr. So that was good to hear as well, too. So uh, uh, moving on from that, evidently T.J. Watt's pretty good. Called him the best defensive player on the planet right now. That'll anger some Browns fans, I'm sure. But uh, if you're coaching TJ Watt the way that Mike Tomlin is, and with the season that TJ Watt's having, the career that Watt has had, you know, what else would you say if you're Mike Tomlin? And he's certainly not wrong to say it. Boy, how'd you like to be Denzel Martin, right? Yeah, it's a pretty good job to be Carl Dunbar <laughs> and Denzel Martin, coach, you know, Cam Hayward and these outside backers, et cetera. Uh, it's a pretty good place to be. Yeah, that's a good gig if you can get it. <laughs> I think that's about it from Tomlin. Anything else there that uh, caught your attention? Uh, trying to see if there was anything else. Oh, what what'd you think about his uh, description of 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 why he didn't challenge that or haven't reviewed that touchdown? Yeah, to me, it's another story where it's like he said what he said. The answer wasn't going to change from post game Sunday. I mean, what else is there really t- to talk about? I understand why he didn't challenge, just from the difficulty of playing on the road and the vantage point. And again, I think trying to understand what's a catch and not a catch in today's NFL is, you know, you can go, go to the moon easier than you can determine what a catch is. So I, I, you know, you can debate it, and I wouldn't have been mad had he thrown the red flag, but I understand why he didn't. And I don't know what else there really is to be said about that. All right. Do you have any other additional thoughts? From no, just uh, it, it, it sounded like he tried to give the, 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 the ref refs too much credit at first that what, what was his initial comment there? Uh, I'm trying to scroll back up in here to see what he said. Normally he said something to the fact that normally they're, uh, I, I assume if they don't call it a touchdown, I proceed with caution, particularly early in games. And I uh, preserve the timeout uh, because I know when in doubt, they they usually are going to call that a score and you get the automatic review under those circumstances. So he, he it seems like he thinks that that if they think that there's any doubt in that they would more lean to making the score, but I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think it, it it goes down to each individual, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, making the call there. Do you think the ref thing is thinking in the back of his head? I'm just going to go ahead and call this a touchdown in that split second and let review handle it. Is, is that how they're, they're taught? You know, uh, I, I, I didn't like that part of, of, of the answer that he gave. I think we've seen officials let kind of fumbles and things like that play out from time to time and allow the review to take place. I don't know if that's kind of the instruction or the feel 
that they take with touchdowns in terms of catch, no catch. I think I think you're right. It's kind of more just making the call on the field without, you know, considering the aspect of let's just call it a touchdown so the review can take place. Right. So I, I didn't I didn't like that he he presumed you know that presumes that well they they know that when in doubt just call it a touchdown in a split second and let let right. review handle it. I, I didn't like that part of the answer. Sure. To me, though, it, it was a close play. You know, had you reviewed it, sure. I think it's a coin flip if they turn that over or not. I know Gene Steratore said that that he thinks they would have. We talked about football zebras and obviously the refs, you know, felt like it was not not a touchdown or did not, did not have enough evidence to overturn that. So, you know, it's, it's a 50-50 play. You didn't challenge it. I get it. I, I'm good with it. I'm moving on. All right. I All right, Dave. Well. Uh, I think it's a good time here to take a pause. Speaking of Mike Tomlin, let's talk with John Harris. I mentioned top of the show, new book out, Tomlin, The Soul of a Football Coach, written by John Harris, who covered the Steelers beat for quite some time in Pittsburgh. The forward is done by Tony Dungy. It's a great book, great conversation with John. Just on sale right now, you can go pick it up. We'll put a link maybe somewhere either on the site or we'll I'll tweet it out or something like that. But the book is Tomlin, Soul of a Football Coach. Let's take a pause and come back with John. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, a very special guest today who just has a new book that was released a couple of days ago. And it's great timing for that in the middle of the Pittsburgh Steelers playoff race or playoff race, I should say. It's a Tomlin, the soul of a football coach written by John Harris, who covered the Steelers for a long time, knows Mike Tomlin, the Pittsburgh Steelers very well, goes through Tomlin's basically whole life story from his days. Um, in Virginia to his first coaching job to going from Tampa Bay to Minnesota and of course being hired by the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2007 and his legacy and his time with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So we are very grateful to be joined today by John Harris, the author of Tomlin, the soul of a football coach. John, how you doing? I'm great, guys. It's great to be on there. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. John, uh, read you for years. Obviously, you covered the Steelers for a long, long time at the Pittsburgh Tribune Review. Uh, obviously, during that time, uh, covered a lot of Mike Tomlin uh, press conferences and and obviously yeah. games to go along with that. Uh, just want to start first and foremost, and, and I, you know, I think you, you wrote about this uh, early in the book here. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about you know, your inspiration behind uh, this book on Mike Tomlin? Uh, you, 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 I think you said in there that you covered them all those years and you kind of thought that you knew them, but you know, you, you wanted to dig deeper to, to get it, to know them a little bit more. Yeah. It's, it's, I, you know, first I was thinking about doing a book on the, the Steelers defense from the, from the Super Bowl champions. And I talked some people talked to my editor and we went back and forth with it. And, you know, he said, that's good and all well and good. He said, but you know, Mike Tomlin is, a, is a figure that, you know, everybody knows, but they don't know him. They see him on the sideline. They think they know him. And, you know, I, I did a little research. And I, I had assumed that there had been a book or two written about him. And when I found out that there wasn't, it just got me, the light bulb went out. And I just started thinking, you know, well, what can I write about this guy? How can I write it? Uh, what do I think I know? You know, what should I know? And... It was interesting because I was contemplating it last season when the Steelers were struggling, and it looked like that streak of what well, never having a losing season was really in jeopardy. And I said, "Well, this could really be interesting. What's going to happen with this team with this new quarterback? 
with this coach that has been there a long time and the pressure was building and I just started following it and I just decided, you know, let's go with it. Whether And at that time, I didn't know whether they were going to finish with a winning record or what and just decided to start pursuing it, started researching it, reaching out and just following it. Things just started falling into place. Uh, the more people I made contact with, the more my antenna went up as far as just learning about him, the early stages. My my idea was to really write about him. The part that a lot of people don't know was the, you know, the college years and the buildup uh, to the NFL and to the Steelers. And that's really what I put a lot of focus on. Because to me, that's really, if you really want to know about Mike Tomlin and what he does now, a lot of things that he does now are things that he did when he was in Tampa Bay and Minnesota and even at some of his college stops, uh, you know, one of the main thing is, you know, his age. And that was a really big deal when he took the Steelers job. But if you look back at Minnesota, when he was a coordinator and even at Tampa Bay, when he took over and started coaching, you know, John Lynch, who was older than him when he took the job, that was something he had kind of gotten used to. Of course, to us in Pittsburgh, it was like, wow, this 34 year old guy, What's the deal? But he had kind of already gone through that to a certain extent. So it wasn't as, I guess, maybe overwhelming to him as maybe I know I thought and probably a lot of other people thought, you know, how's this young guy going to come in and handle this, you know, Super Bowl team two years removed? So I, I think I'm able to tell that a little bit. People get a better idea of his buildup, uh, you know, and becoming the Steelers coach through the years. Obviously, uh, the book, the book uh, goes in, in, in chronological order all the way back to William and Mary days and all like that. Uh, yeah. Did you and, and you have you know several uh, people listed in there that you talked to for, for the book and quotes from? And obviously, uh, the forward is done by Tony Dungy and, and, and very well. Written. I was able to get through that part of it as well, too. Uh, did you when you put this together, did you did you start there or did you have to piece this together? In other words, talk to who you could as, as you could and then put the book together that way. Or did you go? Did you actually start at the beginning and, and uh, with the interviews and all like that from, from college days and, and, you know, way, way back. Yeah. My initial thought was to um, start off and build up. I, I initially, I really wanted to really be top heavy with the early years. And I did that, you know, my editor, um, <laughs> bless his heart, Jason Katzman, I believe. I remember when we, I, I was feeling like, okay, I'm pretty much done here. You know, we had gotten to the Steelers. I was going to maybe kind of, I don't know, gloss over some of his years with the Steelers. He was like, oh, no, no way, dude. You know, you, you know, we've got to tell this story through the years with the Steelers. And, you know, the more I did it, I'm glad that we did that. And, and it kind of took me back. You know, a lot of things I had forgotten, some of the years, you know, good and bad, so to speak. It took me back. And so as it went on, you know, things started falling into place. It was done in chronological order. But as I built up and did the Steeler years, I really kind of got motivated for that. And I'm hope I was able to tell that story, not necessarily year by year, but really go through that, those times. I mean, you look back seven, 17 years is a long. Well, you sure time. is. Coaching <laughs> one team. And it's amazing, you know, some of those seasons and, you know, so many things happen, injuries and, 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 uh, you know, issues with players and success, the highs of the highs and lows and, and, you know, somehow, you know, still here, 
uh, at the you know at this stage, and now it looks like the team is, you know, what are they seven and four now, um, and in the AFC, I mean, they're in pretty good position. Mm-hmm. Even though it's probably shocking to a lot of people right now, it's it's amazing they're in the hunt, and you know, barring a major collapse, I mean, they're going to win, win ten or eleven games this year. The book is Tomlin, the Soul of a Football Coach, on sale right now. John, I'm with you. I think the most interesting part was learning about Tomlin growing up before being hired by Pittsburgh in 2007. And I was just blown away by all the connections that he had. Dan Quinn and VM, uh, VMI and William & Mary, Jimmy Laycock, uh, Laycock at William & Mary to, to rip Shearer at Memphis, and Shearer, the cousin of Kevin Colbert. Yeah. meeting his wife in the trainer's room at William Mary. Did, did this stuff blow your mind the way it blew my mind, seeing all the how interwoven this is with Mike Tomlin? Yeah, I don't even think, at the time, I don't even think he realized it. I mean, when you mentioned Jimmy Laycock, his coach at um, at William Mary, well, he, uh, well, I don't know, was it Stewart? And there was a connection between Jimmy Laycock and Stewart. Mm-hmm. There was a connection between Rip Shearer. And they all had this, like, this William & Mary connection. So I don't even know if he realized it. At the time, they were all kind of bonded together. And if you look at, so he got his he got his basics from Jimmy Laycock, who also knew Rip Shearer, who also knew Bill Stewart. Mm. So they're all through his coaching veins, basically. If you think about it, even if you don't look at it that way, that's all through him. There were so many connections and and people that you know were there for him uh, through the years, which I think are interesting. People that he leaned on when he was trying to decide on, well, should I take this job or what's my next step? And they were very important. I know at Memphis, you know, I don't, I think he was talking a good game. You know, he he told everybody he was going to get out of coaching after he left BMI and he went to uh, the coaching conference convention and he was looking for a graduate assistance job. And he told Rip Shearer, who was at Memphis at the time, yeah, I'm really thinking about getting out of it. And I didn't believe that. I said, well, well look, because his mom wanted him to go to law school. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, if he wanted to get out of it, why did he go to the coaches' conference, right? So he didn't want to. That was in him, even at that time when he was telling everybody that. And Rip Shearer just said, hey, give it some time. And if you do what you're supposed to do in a few years, you know, you'll get in the NFL. He said, of course, I didn't think he'd be the head coach of the Steelers. <laughs> but I, he said there was something about him. You know, I felt that he could that he could do that. But, yeah, I – and he hasn't talked a lot about it, but the connections are amazing. You know, Randy Fitchner, who right. they go way back. You know, Keith Butler, you know, way back to to Arkansas State, mm-hmm. and you know, meeting in a in a high school coach's office when he was at Tennessee Martin, which a lot of people don't even realize he was actually at Tennessee Martin for a few months, never coached there. And Fitchner uh, and Joe Hollis at Arkansas State convinced him to join them, and they just met by chance in a, at a recruiting trip at a high school in Memphis. And that's how they're connected. So when you think about it, then they go all the way back. Then when Mike Tomlin gets to steal his job, he hires Randy Fitzner, you know? So it's, you think about it. Once you start looking, you know, connecting these dots, you really see the connections that were there through the years. You don't really maybe realize it at the time, Mm -hmm. but it's remarkable. Um, You know, the, the, the bond, the deep bonds between, between these men. And as you write in the book, when Tomlin got hired by Pittsburgh, he called Randy Feetner and said, I have a job and so do you. And that's just a really cool way to, to tie all that thing uh, t- together. 
to kind of fast forward, take me through, and you write about it in the book, but that post-2006 season after Cower steps down, this yeah. was an event in Pittsburgh. It was like a new pope, rarer than a new pope, to hire a Steelers head coach, and it was the competition between the Trib and the Post-Gazette, then Sports Illustrated yeah. tries to come in with the scoop just for you personally covering that those couple of weeks with the craziness. Is it Grimm? Is it Rivera? Is it Wissenhut? Is it Tomlin? Who's going to be the hire? Looking yeah. back on that, what was that experience like for you? That was crazy because I had just gotten there. I had gotten there what, in October uh, that that season, you know, Cowers last year. And then he turned right around, you know, and then he leaves. And he got this coaching search. So I'm still kind of trying to figure it all out. You know, Scott, you know, Scott Brown and I, we were both, that was both our first year on the beat. You know, we're going up against the mighty Post-Gazette, you know, and, and, and trying to make sources. And, you know, it was like the one that, you know, hey, you don't want to get beat on this. And you just kind of thrown into the fire. And it was so many peaks and valleys and, you know, stories, storylines, this here, this here, this, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. And, you know, you were scared to go to sleep and scared to wake up <laughs> paper, you know, the next day. And, and I, I try to touch on that because it was a unique time for those two papers, because at that time, the newspaper industry was really changing. And the Pittsburgh market was very different at that time because those two papers were still going at it, where you had a lot of cities that were losing papers. or had one one newspaper and they, you didn't really have a newspaper war. And you had a legitimate newspaper war in Pittsburgh, which kind of added, I think, to the intrigue and all that. And I think I try to explain it in a way that people understand kind of some of the pressure that the trip was feeling, you know, being, you know, being Avis compared to Hertz and then <laughs> pressure of that. And, and, you know, trying to make a name for yourself, you know, to, you know, to beat the to beat the big guy on the block. So Just, um, I was trying to you know explain that a little bit mm -hmm. in there. Just really quickly before Dave asks his, his next question, how what was the tone of, in Pittsburgh like when Tomlin was officially announced as the hire? I, I was a little younger back then. What was your impression of how the city reacted? Because in some ways it was a, a surprise. I think it was a shock. You know, I, I don't think anybody thought it was going to happen, um, to be honest. Uh, he just, nobody knew who he was. You know, he, and all of a sudden you heard his name, but you're like, who is this guy? You know, uh, yeah, he was in Minnesota for a year as a coordinator. And, you know, Minnesota didn't set the house on fire that year. They were competitive his first year, but, you know, it wasn't like they went to the Super Bowl or anything. So people were like, okay, who is this guy? We don't know who he is. He's 34. You know, everybody, and, and, and I talk about it, it's, it's just interesting, you know, was not welcomed with open arms by the players who made it clear that you know he was going to have to prove himself to these to this team, many of whom wanted what Russ Grimm, if not Ken Wisenhunt. I, I try to picture that for this thirty-four-year-old coach. You know what I mean? Coming into that situation, I don't know if a lot of coaches could have handled that. It was a lot of pressure. Sure. It was a team that won the Super Bowl the year before. Bill Cowher leaves. Still a lot of talent, but they went eight and eight. You know you know, you're feeling that pressure that, you know, your quarterback kind of has a meeting with you and tells you, Hey, Hey coach. I mean, just think about that for a minute. You just take the job and the Ben Roethlisberger saying, Hey, um, you know what? Um, you're going to have to earn these guys trust. I mean, maybe some people couldn't have handled that. He was able to, I, I think it's interesting. You know, a lot of things, you know, um, Alan Fanica, you know, your hall of fame guard, 
he was unhappy because he wanted a new contract. He he held out of one of the camps. You know, Joey Porter ends up leaving. There was a lot of stuff going on, you know, even just taking the job. Uh, not to mention the pressure of just replacing Bill Cower and trying to uphold the standards of, uh, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers. John, you uh, obviously have a chapter in there about, uh, uh, you know, the process of him becoming the Steelers head coach and all. Well, was there, and I I don't want you to have to give away too much here, but was there anything that maybe that you uh, unearthed uh, from maybe people that you talked talked with on, you know, uh, who knew him, Viking side or or Steelers side that you, that was kind of really, really new to you that you did not know uh, about either, you know, the interview process or just the process in general? Oh, he, oh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, it was uh, Brad Childress was great. Uh, the former Steelers coach, he, I mean, I'm sorry, former Vikings coach, he was tremendous, uh, was very open, shares a lot of stories, not just about Tomlin and Steelers, but about the NFL in general. I thought he was fascinating the way he described it. And when, you know, when Art Rooney called him uh, the second, and he said he could gauge by the the questions he was being asked that it was not like a just uh just okay let's interview this guy for the Rooney Rule because technically the Steelers had already interviewed Ron Rivera and according to uh, John Wooten who was very integral in this whole process they actually had interviewed two minority coaches who I could not find out who the other one was and so they really had already fulfilled that obligation for the Rooney rule. So Tomlin was like the third one who was interviewed minority coach. So if they had, if it was about, okay, we've got to fulfill this obligation. The Steelers had already done that. So I thought that was really interesting from a standpoint of the, the, the legitimate interest, um, you know, that the team had in them. I think Brad Childress told them a story of, you know, how he had kind of just stepped in there and, and, and took over and, you know, he just let, let them run the meetings, the defensive meetings. He turned the defense entirely over uh, to Mike Tomlin. And I think uh, Arguini asked, he said, well, how's he going to be, you know, in front of these guys? And he said, hey, he's going to be fine in front of these guys. He's going to speak his mind. He's going to call people out. He's not going to back down. And I, I just think everybody had a concern about the age. You know, he's 34 years old. But if you think about it and you look at the Steelers history, right? Bill Cowher, mm-hmm. um, you know, Chuck Noll, they were mm-hmm. all in their 30s, right, when they got hired. So he kind of fit that bill. It's just that he came out of nowhere, and people just weren't thinking about that. I mean, Russ Grimm had a big, you know, had a big following, a lot of support, but he was an offensive coach. So if they had hired Russ Grimm, it would have been kind of going against the grain of what the Steelers had done in the past. Uh, I just think it was just such an out-of-left-field in a way. His, his hiring him it just it just kind of just caught people by surprise do you do you remember uh back when you know uh, after he was hired do you, that first season is there anything that maybe a press conference or something that sticks out in, in 2007 where kind of you took it as the media maybe kind of testing tomlin oh yeah i mean i, I think i think he handled this stuff well early because there was so much stuff going on turmoil off the field and I think the uh, playoff game against Jacksonville, he came under quite a bit of um, scrutiny. Uh, it was a game they could have won, you know, some mistakes. 
Uh, I think it was a Jacksonville team. I think they, I don't know if they had beat them early in the year and lost to them, but it was at home. It was a game they could have won. And I, I think that really, that may have really opened his eyes as far as what he was facing, you know, from the fan base and from the media. Uh, he backed off a little bit the following year at the training camp. You know, his first, his first camp was very, very, very aggressive, very physical. It turned a lot of the players off. A lot of them came back later and said, hey, you know, he kind of, wore us out, but I mean, you know, talking to Casey Hampton, I mean, he was like, hey, you know, he had to do it his way. Um, we understood that. We didn't like it, but we understood that he was going to have to make his mark, and that's what he was going to do. And, you know, so I think the players, even though a lot of them didn't like it, you know, because they had done it the way they had done it, and they'd had a lot of success. You know, who are you to come in here and change it up? You know, we've already won a Super Bowl. And, um, you know, Tomlin would tell them, you know, yeah, I won one with Tampa Bay, too. So I, I, I think he just there's just something about him. He's just um, supremely confident uh, in himself. But I think the main thing that maybe people miss is what I learned early is the detail as a as an assistant coach. Uh, Rondé Barber just speaks just glowingly of him, um, credits him with getting to the Hall of Fame turning his career around the detail he spent as a defensive back coach with him and, and John Lynch and, and that secondary and how he made those literally made those players better just through basic coaching, which kind of in their mind made up for the age difference. And who was this young guy that we really don't know? Uh, he proved himself by what he actually did. And, and at the end of the day, these guys are professional Hey, if you can make me better, if you can make me a better player, you know, so I can earn more money, you know, I'm on your side. And I think he was able to do that, you know, for him winning the Super Bowl in year two with Pittsburgh. I mean, that went a long way, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of time uh, after that. Uh, we're, we're about to hit December here. And I, I assume uh, that clip from, and I might post it myself that 2009, uh, we're going to unleash hell, uh, <laughs> that, uh, uh, clip there. And, you know, Mike taught that's not that he was overly shaken in, in that one, uh, uh, post game, you know, interview, I think it was there. Uh, but yeah. I mean, you, you could, you could tell that it, it was a trying moment, uh, for him, uh, during, oh. dur- during that post. What do you remember about, about that particular, you know, unleash hell press conference? I remember writing the column where I ripped him. I remember <laughs> that. I, I was like, what? Huntley, what, what are you, what are you trying to, I remember that. I was like, really? That was my attitude at, at that time. And, uh, my response, you know, to that, um, I can't speak for the other writers and journalists there, but I remember that distinctly. I was very critical of it. And and again, not knowing, you know, Mike Tomlin. And, you know, I didn't talk to Mike Tomlin, you know, I did not interview him for this for this biography. Um I I am very appreciative of his brother Ed Tomlin, who provided incredible insight uh, into their relationship and to some of the things that Mike you know, that makes him go. Um, but I did not know Mike, like a lot of the reporters there didn't know him. And, and I'll tell you what, some of the guys that are still there don't know him. And it's the way he likes it. You know, this mysterious guy. Um, I mean, I think if you've been around him long enough, there's certain things about him that you can tell. I noticed him after a win at a press conference. He's a little different 
than he is after a loss. Mm -hmm. Just the way he talks, the way he carries himself. I I do notice that. Um, But yeah, I I didn't know him that well. So I just wrote about him as a, this young coach, you know, spouting off at the mouth about unleashing hell and, you know, okay, what's that about? So yeah, he was, and I think at that time he was trying things, you know? Yeah. Let me try this. Let me do this. And I think over the years, I don't know if he talks that way as much anymore after he's, he's more subdued, you know, when they play well, well, that's what they're supposed to do type of thing where back then it was like, okay, I've got to make this statement when he really didn't have to, but that goes into being what a young coach what was he 35, right? Six when he said that. So he, a lot of, lot of learning for him as well as a head coach. Again, we're speaking with John Harris, author of Tomlin, The Soul of a Football Coach, book on sale right now. I encourage you guys to check it out. It's a, it's a fantastic read. John, what is your perspective on how Tomlin handled Antonio Brown? Talk about that a bit later in the book, trying yeah. to keep things under wraps. I think he probably did a better job than we can ever know about trying to make things look as calm as possible until, of course, everything kind of came to a boiling point. Do you think Tomlin has any regrets about how he handled that whole saga and situation yeah i thought a lot about that um you know i wasn't covering the team per se then so going back through it i really brought back a lot of memories about that and you look back on it yeah i i mean in his you know in his quiet point i would probably say yeah he probably had a few regrets to that because it that was those those teams were super talented you know my opinion they should have won at least one or two more Super Bowls, but you look at that, that talent that they had was unbelievable. And the fact that they weren't able to achieve that, you know, there were injuries. I mean, Le'Veon Bell was injured a lot more than I realized. They really never had those guys for a long period of time. You know, Ben and Antonio and Le'Veon together where they really could have shown, you know, what they could do. I even think about the year when they lost to Denver in the playoffs, when Peyton Manning was the quarterback, you think about that. They had all kinds of injuries. They could have won that game. They barely lost. Mm-hmm. Now that Denver team won the Super Bowl. I mean, so they were, even with what they had or didn't have, they were that close to maybe going to the Super Bowl that year. And that wasn't really, that was a talented team. They had a lot of injuries. So there were so many seasons or years where you think like they could have really been up there, maybe add another Super Bowl or two. And of course, the Super Bowl against Green Bay, which they lost. You know, they could have they could have won that one as well. So I, I think, you know, he's his his career, his records, you know, will speak for itself. Would it help him to win a playoff game or get to the playoffs this year and win a playoff game? It sure would. Yeah, for sure. That uh that fits Toussaint fumble in that Denver game still still haunts me. <laughs> what what could have been John, yeah. you know, he also brings up, you know, that game against uh, uh, the AFC Championship, right? Against uh, New England. They were down all those players and didn't uh, Le'Veon try to go in that one for a little mm-hmm. bit? And, uh, yeah, that's your best running back. You know, yeah. against, against that, you know, that was a, those were some dynamic New England teams at that time. John, you had compared kind of Tomlin's arc of getting hired like Bill Cower, like Chuck Knoll, young, defensive minded coaches. Yeah. I know yeah. none of us can predict the future, but ba- but based on what you know about Tomlin and the Steelers franchise, do you believe Tomlin will coach and be allowed to coach until he no longer wants the job and steps down just like Noel and just like Cower? Well, I think the Steelers have shown incredible uh, loyalty. 
you know, there have been what back to back eight and eight seasons. You know, there have been seasons of, you know, disappointment where, you know, other teams, they, they would have let that coach go, you know? So there's been, it still, I think have been incredibly loyal uh, to Mike. It's just the way they do it. You know, his brother, I asked him because, you know, a lot of people talk about Mike Tomlin possibly being a TV guy one time. Mm-hmm. Laughed at that. He said, he said, he said, my brother is a gym coach. He's a gym teacher. He said he's a coach. He said he loves football. That's what he is. He said he maybe he will do it one day. The money might be so good, but he feels like Mike just loves football. He loves coaching it. He loves being around the players. That's and he's four years older than Mike. I mean, they're they're the only siblings. Extremely close. They talk just alike. It's frightening. When I was talking to him, I thought I was talking to, to Mike. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And he believes he's just he just loves coaching football. Uh of course, hey, what do I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Dave. Uh go ahead, go ahead, Alex. Okay, just a couple more questions for you, John. And and again, yep. thank you so much uh for your time here. You also touched on the 2022 draft, and you weren't yeah. co- you weren't with the, the trip at that point, or covering the beat anymore at that point. Is that is that correct? Yeah. Okay, yeah, but, exactly. but you, obviously you researched it. You seem to hint that that the decision obviously they drafted Kenny Pickett, but it might have come down to Pickett or Malik Willis. Do you believe that if Pickett was off the board, had the Saints or somebody taken him, that Willis would have been their guy? And do you think Tomlin was all in on Pickett because, as you write, it felt like Tomlin was pretty high on Malik Willis, or at least intrigued by Malik Willis during that pre-jab process. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I think that the one thing they didn't do, I know, especially the years, the prime years when I covered them, they always drafted, you know, a lot of times they would piss people off because they draft another linebacker. You know, people like, why the hell are they drafting a linebacker? They already got linebackers. They would draft another one and they were really into the best player on the board type deal. I don't know if those were the, that was the best player on the board at that time. I thought that was a draft where they really went for a position of need you know, at quarterback. Um, I don't always agree with that type of philosophy, especially for them. Um, that's a good question. A lot of people say they thought um, Tomlin liked Willis because he was more of a mobile quarterback. Um, but they knew Kenny Pickett, you know, from all the years that he was there. He had the experience. And I think the experience probably played a part in it because you're losing Ben Roethlisberger, right? And this guy is going to be your next quarterback. So you you probably didn't want to go with a, another quarterback who was not as experienced, who maybe his learning curve was going to be a lot, you know, more uh, like a Willis, right. who was still kind of like a. So I'm thinking if you look at all those elements that, that came into play, I think that has something to do with it. And it was interesting, you know, um, how Tomlin handles this quarterback. This is his quarterback, you know, whether he drafted him or not, this is his quarterback. And, and you know, his reputation will you know, will will depend a lot on how Kenny Pickett plays. So it's, it'll be interesting to see how he finally does it with his quarterback because he had Ben Roethlisberger who was already there when he got there and who was there for most of his, his most of his career. So, yeah, that's, that's a good question. I I wonder sometimes, but I think I think Pickett's experience, I think, you know, if I was going to point my finger at anything, I would look at the experience that he had at Pitt and that just maybe was a deciding factor over a Willis who just had a lot more uh, growing mm-hmm. to do. Uh, John, what do you think about this Steelers team at, at, at seven and four right now? Obviously Mike Tomlin's never won coach of the year. Uh, yeah. You know, it, 
there, there's obviously points during this season where it, where it, where it seems smoke and mirrors, but your record, <laughs> you know, style as Mike Tomlin likes to say, say style points don't matter. You know, you are what your record says you are. And there's seven to yeah. four right now. It seems, it seems almost certain barring a collapse that they're going to make the playoffs. And then obviously the onus will be on him to, to win at least one playoff game. If this yeah. team, if this team gets in the playoffs, seeing what you've seen so far this see you know, so far this season, if they get into playoffs and I forget when they have to vote on the, on, on, on the coach of the year award. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if uh, playoffs are taken into account there, but you know, if he can get this team, you know, in the playoffs and win, win at least one game. Should he be coach of the year candidate? I th- maybe as a candidate, yeah. I, mean, I think the the coach at Houston is doing a, mm-hmm. a a masterful job. You know, first year coach, rookie quarterback. I mean, I I remember seeing that. And I have to, if you look at the Steelers' losses, I mean, they're not you never want to lose, but they haven't lost. You know, when they lost that Houston game, I watched that game. And I was like, oh my god, I, they were just getting thrashed, and I couldn't believe it. But if you look at Houston and you look at that quarterback, I mean, that guy is the real deal. And Houston mm-hmm. is a much better team than maybe people thought. And you look at their other losses. They lost to the 49ers. You know, that's a pretty good team, right? They lost to Cleveland a couple weeks ago. So they're a lot, and they lost to uh, Jacksonville. So they've lost. They've played some. It wasn't like they were upset in any of those games. They lost to some pretty good teams. It just looks like that the offense is going to. So it's all going to come down to the offense. I'm right. Not that nobody in Pittsburgh already knows that they the offense just has to develop a level of consistency. I watch so many teams and they're so versatile and they have the motion and they do things and they're able to make simple plays. I just want to see that offense make simple plays on a more consistent basis. You know, I don't need eighty yard bombs every game, but I a level of consistency a flow to their offense, I think would go a long way and take a lot of pressure off of that defense that's had to have a lot of three and outs and be <laughs> on the field a long time, you know? Routine plays routinely, as Mike Tomlin <laughs> would say. That's what they they have to make. My last question for you, John, and again, the book is Tomlin, the soul of a football coach on sale right now. How do you balance the, I think there's two current competing factors with Mike Tomlin, the Pittsburgh Steelers. His never had a losing season streak versus the no playoff win since 2016, no Super Bowl appearance since 2010. I know winning in the NFL is so difficult to do, but how do you balance those two elements? Is there a side of the coin where you come down on more, focusing more on the never had a losing season side or the, hey, this team has not won a playoff game in in quite some time? Well, that's a good question. I look at at New England now, what's happening. And I I think if last year, had really just kind of fallen apart, you know, and they weren't able to go on that streak at the end. And it carried over to this year. And they were now, instead of seven to four, four and seven, coming off of a year last year, I would say it would be, you know what? We need, we need to, you know, maybe the message is no longer getting through. That's why I feel like last year, that turnaround, I'm not going to say it saved him. But I think it gave ownership enough confidence to feel like, okay, we maybe this quarterback's not a franchise quarterback, but you know he's something that we can work with. I think that was huge, to be honest with you, for him, for his future, and the fact that they're now seven and four. Is this a Super Bowl team? No, it's not. Um, do they have the potential? You have to be excited about this draft that they just had. Mm-hmm. Somebody 
some of these young guys that that you definitely build around. Um, and now you want to see it. They say they have offensive weapons, right? So now it's time. They made the change. They have the co-coordinators, offensive coordinators. I want to see something over these next few games. I want to, you know, 400 yards was great the other day. I want to see a couple 30-point games, maybe a 40-point <laughs> game. They played, what, Arizona this week at home. I mean, they should be able to put some points up on those guys. What do you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Especially the way uh, the, the Rams were able to to run the ball. I mean, look, Arizona, we, we all know their, their situation right now. And you look at the next three games for this team right now. You got Arizona, New England, and then the news just came out today about the Colts might not have Jonathan Taylor uh, for, wow. for, for, for that game, uh, three weeks from now there. So this is, you know, you're supposed to, you know, win the games that you're supposed to win and, and, you know, the offense coming alive, uh, a little, you know, obviously not on the scoreboard where you really, really want to see it, but we saw some things obviously in tape that were, that were very encouraging and you want to definitely see them build on that for these, for these next three weeks, for sure. Yeah. I, I think, you know, this was a big game. Um, okay. They got 400 yards last week. That's good. But I definitely want to see a build. You know, I want to build on that now. You know, you okay, you don't have to get 400 yards this week. But, you know, red zone. I mean, the red zone, they, they got down there. and They got down there last week, but they were not able to put it in the end zone. I mean, I watch – I marvel when I watch the Eagles when, when they get to the, what, the two-yard line and they, mm-hmm. they run <laughs> it in. Or they, they get in that area. They just Some teams just have a knack for it, you know. They're not afraid. Some teams, like, even when they're inside the 10, some teams seem like they play afraid offensively. You know, the Eagles don't play, play afraid. I, I think it's, it's Pickett develops, and they, and they have the weapons. Pickens, to me, is just – I don't know how they got him in the second round. I mean, the guy is incredible talent. I mean, he's really – now you got the, your tight ends back now. He had a huge game last week. I think that's going to make a big difference. Um, and you got two good running backs. Um, Kenny Pickett, th- there's no pressure on you, dude. Just – Go out there and play. You got a new coordinator. The team's behind you. You got a good running game. Just go out and just go out and play, man. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about trying to be perfect with everything. Just go out there and make some plays. You know? For sure. We will see what happens. Again, the book is Tomlin, the Soul of a Football Coach, the Forward by Tony Dungy, the author we're speaking with now, John Harris. John's a tremendous book. Read through it last night on sale right now. Go pick it up if you're a Steelers fan. Great holiday present. John, thank you again so much for talking with Dave and I today. Guys, I really appreciate it. We, like you said, we go way back, back when I was working for the Trib and doing the Ike Taylor show. So it's good, good memories. And I just can't thank you enough for having me on today. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. And again, our thanks to John Harris for taking some time to talk about the book, Tomlin, the soul of a football coach on shelves right now. Great conversation. Great book, Dave. Everybody should go check it out. Uh, yeah, and I, you've, you've, uh, I think, been able to dive deeper into it than I have. I will say this: I've thumbed through it uh, quite a bit before we did the interview with him. Uh, it's a very thick book, uh, a lot of pages in there, but uh, that's probably because the print is a little bit bigger, uh, which I like. Us old old folks <laughs> like that. Uh, I, I think the line space, you know, little things like that. The line spacing, I think, it's very easy to read. And it's 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 laid out very well chapter wise. Uh, I don't see how anybody who you know is a Steelers fan wouldn't enjoy this book and uh, learn learn some things that that you probably didn't know or you know 
more than likely, I, I would guarantee you'll learn some things that you didn't know about Mike Tomlin as you go through this. So uh, uh, perfect time for him to release this thing around Christmas. And uh, we will we will put a link in this podcast post to like Amazon or something where, where people can buy it. But I, w- I would imagine that this will be a gift given to many Steelers fans. And uh, it was good to catch back up with John Harris again. Yeah, absolutely. I, I learned uh, a lot, especially about the early you know, upbringing of Mike Tomlin, early days as a coach and, and playing days at William and Mary and BMI to Memphis and the connections and just kind of the, the, the fast path that he took, but also just kind of the craziness of being a football coach and kind of falling into stuff and working your way up the ladder and um, just really interesting there from John. So good backstory on Mike Tomlin. Again, book available, uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, put a link in and you guys can check it out. So thanks again to John. All right, Dave, you and I have gone through the all 22 of the Bengals games. Let's start with the Steelers offense. It's kind of different looking offense, some tweaks, not major changes, but definitely a different feel and tone to this offense. What felt different for you watching this game? I think a little bit about what we already hit on, and it was just a matter of how much they did it. Uh, the 13 personnel with the three tight ends uh, on the field. What 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 did I put out there? I think 11. Was it 11 snaps of that? And then I think... Mm-hmm. Uh, 11 snaps of 13 personnel, I think Tom Mead charted for us. And I think an additional, what, five snaps of, of, of 12 personnel with two tight ends on the field here. So you had what, 11 and five, 16 total snaps of the team having two or more tight ends on the field. I thought that was uh, really significant, uh, overall and, uh, obviously paid some dividends uh, in this. They passed out of uh, 13 personnel a couple times, which was was good to see. And I think probably uh, caught the Bengals a little bit off guard with some some tendency breakers in there. Uh, so you know that first and foremost that 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 stuck out. Uh, the play action, particularly early uh, in the game, uh, five or six times I think I wrote that uh, they use play action uh, specifically in the first quarter. Now they got away from that as the game went on. What I think they only used it, what three or four more times the rest of the game. So I was a little Mm -hmm. bit, a little bit curious uh, about that, but uh, look, uh, they pushed the football down the field more in this game, particularly in, 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 in the middle of the field, they utilized Pat Firemuth uh, in, in, in this one. Uh, The run game was pretty much the run game, albeit, at, at times with different personnel in there. Uh, I thought you did a good job in your four things that stuck out about the, 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 the changes that you noticed this week about motion with purpose uh, in there. I thought that was laid out very nicely uh, overall. And uh, the route combinations were not as independent uh, in, 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 in this one. So those are the kind of things that a, we talked about we were excited to see if things stuck out on the all 22 and they did uh, as a whole there. Um, the results outside of scoring points were obviously there. Uh, now you just have to build off of that uh, moving forward. To go back to 13 personnel, to me, that might have been the most notable difference compared to Sullivan. Faulkner to to Matt Canada and coming into this game through the first 10 games of the season Pittsburgh had used 13 personnel 
excluding kneel downs on just seven snaps the entire season. Now, I know Frymuth has missed a, a chunk of the season, but you had the tight end healthy for the first three and a half games of the season, and he was back last week against uh, Cleveland. So you're you're still you know using at least you know four and a half games of, of all your tight ends being healthy. Even when Frymuth was out, you had Rodney Williams playing and, and playing a, a fair amount of snaps, so they were using a third tight end. And, and so in this game, to have 11 snaps of 13 personnel, more than you've had the entire season, is a big difference. And as you said, passing out of that, they're in a screen off of that open second half, about 15 yards to Jalen Warren on that play. That I thought was was really notable. Um, yeah, the motion just kind of had a bit more purpose, was a bit more layer to it. And the concepts, I think, just kind of put defenders in conflict. Go back to what you talked about Monday and that Deontay Johnson almost touched down in the end zone. As you said, the, the, the uh, Dino concept. Dino, uh, Dino, uh, Dino, yeah. Dino, Dino, whatever it is. The double post concept with Robinson and Johnson on the post. That single eye safety put in conflict. He's got to make a choice. Am I covering Robinson on the post or am I covering Johnson on the post? And he covered Robinson, pick it through to Johnson because it was open and Johnson got himself open. So just stuff like that, especially in red zone when, when space is condensed and things are kind of tight, you really have to you know creatively open guys up and find ways to create space and route concepts like that accomplish that so just those are some of the the little more subtle things i noticed that had a big impact absolutely uh they 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 did and once again you know now you got to see more points coming off of that because you uh todd haley uh, was on serious uh monday uh on the show that he does with uh solomon wilcotts and uh said normally you know he said hey hey it was good to see them hit that 400 yard mark but normally that that translates into what did he say? Twenty-eight points. Mm-hmm. Yep, twenty-eight. You know, and obviously you had sixteen. Now you had the touchdown get away from you uh, there uh, uh, on the one to Deontay Johnson. Then you followed up with a fumble uh, in the red zone. So even if you had let, let you know, let's let's say you got the seven there, uh, you're up to what? What you would? Yeah, twenty-three. Uh, you still probably could have used another field goal, or, or would have expected at least another field goal in 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 you know along the way there. So I thought he made a good point with that. But taking the points aside, which obviously the goal is to score as many points as possible, it looked a lot different. It looked a lot better as a whole. Yeah, just some more fluidity to this offense overall. Better rhythm, the ball getting out on time. Um, you know, in utilizing the, third downs. Of the field. Yeah. Third downs. Again, I think creating space on third downs, they had so many bunch and stack concepts that help get guys like Calvin Austin, Pat Frymuth with free releases to, you know, make, make life tough on defenders on third and five, third and six. And those things just, you know, just a situational football, scheming guys open, creating, you know, uh, conflict for the defense, um, putting your guys in position to win, to get open, to make life easy on your quarterback. This offense, showed that against the uh, Bengals. Yeah, let's talk specifically about the play of Kenny Pickett in this one. Uh I mean it was it was a good it was a very good game for him, right? I mean no, nobody's mm-hmm. going going to disagree uh with that. I I thought he was much more in rhythm as far as getting the ball out, you know, in 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 some of these drops uh of his. I thought that was good. Uh the fact that you can almost in your head uh, go through and remember the incompletions, I think is a good sign, right? Because uh, he had, what, nine incompletions overall. And I try to run through the exercise in my head uh, of what those were. You had the Deontay Johnson, obviously the one in the end zone that was incomplete. That was one of the four uh, to him. 
Uh, you had two incompletions to George Pickens. One was the one down the sideline that he laid out for and got hurt on. If memory uh, serves me there, I'm not too you know, upset about that one. Overall, he did miss uh, pretty, pretty bad. The uh, George over the middle of the field on that one, mm-hmm. on, on, yeah, the, on, on that other one. Pressure got to him. I thought Pickett did not do his best against some of those pressure looks. The Bengals are pretty well known to run. All right. So those are the two George Pickens incompletions there. Uh, Deontay in the front of the end zone. Around uh, around the pylon was one of them, correct? That one's not coming to mind, but I to, trust to the left side. Uh, trying to think uh, the two others to Deontay that were incomplete, and I'm having a problem recalling the two incompletions to Pat Frymouth. Do you remember? There were I know there were like two that were really heavily pressure induced that he got hit as he threw, and the ball kind of died in the right. ground. I don't know what what targets they were assigned to, but I know at least there were two examples of those where it was pressure that really caused the inclusion. All right. What about the, uh, the, uh, this is nitpicking and, uh, but I, I did see, uh, 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 who's the, uh, quarterback, uh, JT O'Sullivan. Yeah. JT, uh, JT O'Sullivan talk about this in his video about the ball placement on the one, uh, to Deontay Johnson. Uh, if Deontay catches that, a, are we even talking about it? Uh, uh, but B, I think he made some good points there that you would have probably liked that ball out a little quicker mm-hmm. and maybe a little bit higher back towards the, the, the middle of the field. But, uh, it is nitpicking in that situation because if Deontay holds on to that football, we're not even, we're pr- none of that probably even, may- maybe he does discuss that in this video uh, there. And then obviously the, uh, the, 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 the heavy pressure one to George Pickens. I, 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 I know Kenny would probably like that one back there, but yeah. uh, what did you think about the throw, the actual throw to Deontay and the timing of it? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned just briefly in that video that it, it was a bit behind. I think Pickett's trying to walk that line with that single high safety just to make sure you don't kind of throw it in front where he might be able to make a play on it. So you're not trying to maybe throw it as in front as you would be against a too high, a split safety type look. But Johnson, no question, had to, to turn back for the football, but it still was a ball that Johnson has to, to complete. So, yeah, I think you could certainly say that Pickett could have put that one a bit better. So the cornerback couldn't have a, a higher chance to get back in that play to, to break that ball up. Um, but Johnson has to make that play. He's more than capable of making right, that play. Right. And once again, if he catches that, you know, does that even show up on, 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 on the JT you know, video there? But uh, uh, I think overall coming out of this game and, and uh, look, the, the drop in the bucket to Deontay on the right side was fantastic. The, uh, uh, the shock concept on the, uh, uh, slot slot fade to, uh, deep to George Pickens was was absolutely fantastic. I just think if you want want to talk about some finer details here when it comes to Kenny Pickett moving past this this very good game of his, look, I mean, uh, what did you think about the? I pulled the uh, list of uh, adjusted net yards for passing attempt uh, of what was it seven point five or more. Uh, in a game with at least 20 attempts, zero touchdowns and two or more sacks. 
And that list isn't very long, is it? And Kenny Pickett's on there <laughs> twice. <laughs> the last two quarterbacks to do it, the only two quarterbacks this year to do it are Kenny Pickett against the Bengals and against the Rams. Right. So uh, that that makes you marvel, in my opinion, marvel a little bit of, of how good, you know, how good a statistical performance that was overall, you know, because it's hard, it's hard to do that. Uh, you know, obviously going back as far back, uh, I think it goes back to what, 1964 in that, I, I don't, I don't remember, but it was only like a list of 50 quarterbacks that, that it, it's an insignificant state. It's only something that us nerds, me, <laughs> me and you dive deep into, but, uh, uh, anyway, uh, coming out of it, once again, it was a very good game for, for Kenny Pickett and man, anytime that you can put up, uh, the air yard completed air yard distance and, and, you know, some of the, the, the metrics that he put in there, obviously the offense had, had six explosive plays in this game, which was good to see. If you're talking about anything, hoping to see the next progression with him moving forward and not going backwards from this performance against the Bengals, I think most of it would, most of the talk would center around accuracy and handling pressure. Yeah, in terms of criticism, I, right. I think that that's valid. Yeah, but to me, the the takeaway in a positive direction was rhythm. I just felt like he was in rhythm, the offense was in rhythm, the passing game was in rhythm, and that's why you had more fluidity overall, just in terms of the ball getting out on time and stacking positive plays and avoiding some of the negativity. There was some, there was still too much negativity in the passing game, generally speaking, not just on pickup, but just for for the passing game overall that stalled out some drives. Why they only produced sixteen points, but just broadly speaking, a lot more rhythm a lot more fluidity for this offense. I'm glad you mentioned, too, that that slot fade to George Pickens. That's a third down play. It's a, it's a big situation. And to me, I, I, I call that hoss wide juke. You call it a chalk concept. I'm not even yeah. familiar with the term, to be honest with you. But uh, to me, that's hoss wide juke. It's a great scheme of, of giving your quarterback options. You got those seam runners. You got Johnson on the option route over the middle. And it's a great throw. It's a great catch. You get the matchup. Pickens on Hilton. You know, Hilton's a good corner, but he's, you know, Pickens is you know, got six inches on Mike Hilton on that play. It's a great ball. So uh, to me, Haas Juke, the Patriots made up. They won Super Bowls off mm-hmm. of Haas Juke with Welker, Edelman, Gronkowski. And to see that in Pittsburgh, it's a really good scheme and it worked well. Yeah, it did. Uh, uh, and look, that was what? Three by two out of empty, too. You know, so. Yeah. Uh, and look, you made a lot of great, we talked about the other day, a lot of, what'd you think of when you went back and looked at the, the third down throw that I referenced to, uh, Pat Frymuth over there on the sideline. Yeah, that's a great ball by, by Kenny, but again, you get that sack there. It's, it's, it's two receivers, a two by two. Look, you got Frymuth underneath Pickens and you kind of create that bit of a rub there where the corner has to kind of work through some of that traffic to get Frymuth on that speed out. He's a step behind. It's a good ball and a nice catch by by frying with they had hit Calvin Austin at a bunch on third and five right side, you know, similar type of look. It was a, a three guys, three man bunch there, but getting that free release and hitting the sideline and putting it on him and making the play, moving the stick. So just those things in those big kind of weighty downs, Tomlin says, third downs, can you scheme guys open? I thought you saw guys routinely getting schemed open on third down. Yeah. Cause that defender had to come all the way over with, that was a high percentage situation. As long as all you know, the timing and everything uh, lines up with it, with, with uh, on that one particular to Austin that you're talking about, cause that defender has got to come all the way over with him from the other side of the field. Right. Yeah. I'm trying to think back to the, was that, no, no, I'm thinking about the one no. with Warren. I'm thinking about the one with, with Warren over to that side. Flat. 
Yeah, yeah, that one, they just kind of run a little return motion to kind of clue man. And But the corner still had to kind of they distribute the bunch there, and the corner still has to react right. to it, and he's a little bit late. And, and and yeah, Frying with on, I mean, Pittsburgh had, what, eight third downs in this game? Frying with caught three of them. So, I mean, you talk about your tight end on third down, you find 88, you know, best hands on the team, that's the guy you target. And look, that was a third and six to Frymuth. And if you don't get that one right there, uh, and it was pretty good coverage despite the rub off on that side by Pickens. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you you got to put that ball uh, in, in, a, in a tight window. And I thought Kenny Pickett did, because if you don't convert there, you're kicking a field goal in that situation. And that drive ended up being a touchdown drive. Right. The Najee Harris five-yard score. So uh, any other thoughts here offensively, Dave, from this game? O-line play, any different impressions of this one uh, watching the O-line? It could have been better across the board, run game and pass game. Uh, you, you get deeper down in, in into the tape. The run game obviously was better. I thought the tackles uh, could have played better in this one from a pass protection standpoint. I thought the backs could have done better in pass protection uh, in this one uh, overall. I uh, uh, that that's They need to work on some protection things uh, and some keys and identifying some things a little bit better, I think, this week. Yeah, I'm with you. There was at least one or two misassignments from the backs not picking up guys, and, and that's been more of an issue lately. I did think kind of in the second half they adjusted and handled some of those sim pressure looks much better than, than they did in the first half because, again, you knew third and long they're going to run some kind of cover zero type looks. They're going to mug and put every guy besides a couple of DBs up there at the line of scrimmage, and that that's stressful as a protection, as a quarterback, as you know who's rushing, who's dropping, uh, where, where's your hot read at, all that kind of stuff. So I just thought second half they – they handled that. Pittsburgh did much better. I think overall, going back to my uh, Catholic school days, uh, or early grade school days, if you're giving out the gold or the silver or the bronze star on the paper uh, there, I think you get a gold star as far as game planning and and uh, scheme and, and all that kind of stuff uh, within this game. As far as execution and all goes, I think you give it a silver star. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, execution was not, that was the reason why they didn't score more than 16 mm-hmm. points. To me, it was not a schematic game plan type thing. Um, but yeah, I, overall, I'm happy with the foundation. Again, it, it just, it's so basic, but it just looked like an NFL offense. Mm-hmm. Just it the really, way it should be run, how you layer stuff, constraint plays, and just the fluidity that you're looking for. Look, if you continue to convert eight of 17 third downs, which technically eight of 16 with the kneel down at the end, uh, you're converting these third and short situations that we talk about. You're putting six explosive plays uh, up uh, uh, in a game. You're only turning the football over once in a game. Uh, Those you would think moving forward, if you have these kind of repeat performances, you would hope that it's going to produce more than 16 points. Yeah, eventually you're going to execute and you're going to start putting points on the board. Although we, we have been saying that for a little while, even before Canada was fired, there were you know, a Titans game, the Jags game. Execution, I thought, was was the biggest reason why Pittsburgh did not produce more. So at some point, it's like, okay, we're so close. We're right there. Right. Just got to get the job done. Yeah, I'm less concerned about the 400 yards more than I am at this point uh, because you never know what short fields you're going to work off of and, and, and those kind of things. I mean, obviously you want you would expect more than 300 yards, uh, but put, put the ball in the end zone now. For sure. All right. Defensively, Dave, your thoughts, your impressions of the all 22 Keanu Benton, man, just continues to Ooh. make big plays at the line. Uh, he, he, he jumped out obviously quite a few times to run defense as a whole. Now I thought 
the, the Bengals, they've, they've got some issues over there with their run game. And the fact that uh, uh, this is another thing I think Todd Haley talked about uh, on, on the radio. Uh, they only gave now look, they they did they weren't having much success in the run game, uh, but to only give uh, Joe Mixon eight carries in this game, I thought as close as this game was was criminal on, on their part. They should have tried to hammer it a little bit more and try to figure it out a little bit more uh, in there. So shame on them for that. But I thought you know it, on those eight runs, the Steelers really handled them uh, uh, well overall. Shoot, there was. Uh, there was the one to the right side there by by Joe Mixon. It ended up drawing a holding call on TJ Watt on on that specific play, and you could end the conversation right there. But I mean, assuming that he doesn't get that call, you have Alex Highsmith coming working all the way over from that other side, uh, walking. There, I don't. I was. I'm careful to call it trash because it wasn't like he was having to step over. Uh, bodies, but it, you know, it's like walking through a minefield there. And, you know, you, you still have to, to, to navigate the path of bodies, but I thought, you know, a lot of people I think are, 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 are trying to get on Highsmith because he only has four and a half sacks so far this season. But you have to remember quarterbacks are getting the ball out a lot quicker uh, against this defense. Uh, TJ Watts going to probably beat him, beat him <laughs> yeah. to the quarterback on, on a lot of these things. Where where, T, where where Alex Highsmith does not get enough credit, I think to this day is his play against the run. And I think both I, guys are better against the run right. than they're credited for. Look, there there's there's not a better better duo against the run. There's not a better duo. I, I don't think edge rusher in the league right now than those two, you know? Yeah. I can't think, I mean, I'm sure Browns fans would argue Garrett and Zadarius Smith. And I don't know, there's probably some other pairing out there. 49ers have some pretty good edge guys, but I'll, I'll take TJ Watt, Alex Highsmith all day for sure. Now, were there some, uh, uh, issues in coverage in this game where Browning missed, missed some, some receivers? Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, does, does Joe Burrow hit a couple, couple, one to Iovosis, uh, I think that he had uh, uh, to to the to the left side that he probably could have hit, but he didn't. And look, you could boil this down, but by going through the uh, all twenty-two here on a defensive side, man, there were like there were like six big plays in total, and probably several of those uh, six big plays on defense that that would have been highly negative plays for for the Bengals' offense, and several of those probably should have ended in turnovers uh, in the Steelers' favor. The Steelers probably could have had four four or five takeaways in this game and probably, I don't know, three more, two two or three more negative plays overall. Now, a couple of these were tip balls that Jamar Chase got, uh, that just the luck of the bounce. Uh, the fumble, the early fumble forced by TJ. TJ Watt has the worst luck. And then that's what it is when you look at some of these things with with the with a bouncing ball. And I highlighted this somewhere on uh, I think during the off season when it came to negative plays produced by TJ Watt. The guy's just unlucky as all get out with the way the ball bounces. Uh, Unless it's bouncing to him, he, he's good when someone else forces the right. fumble. He's, he scoops and scores all the time. But when he forces the fumble, you're saying offenses seem to recover. Quite yeah, often. and that was the situation. This one, man, you knock the ball out, and the guy that gave up the lookout 
the lookout <laughs> uh, sack ends up jumping on the football, uh, you know, in, in, in this one. So, uh, you know, there's a there's a luck component to to takeaways at times, uh, a lot of times. And the Steelers were very unlucky in this game against the Bengals because once again, there there were probably four total takeaways to be had in this game. I think. Yeah, although you know, on that Casey one. It's in his hands. You know, that's not to me bad right. luck. He just didn't make the play. But you're right, the ball didn't always bounce. I did love at that uh that forced fumble that Watt had. Just watching it landed Roberts. Okay, I get to hit a lineman now. <laughs> like he was excited. He came down and chopped that lineman that, that uh, scooped the ball up and ended the play right there. My overall thoughts here was I really felt like and you say this phrase all the time and you're hundred percent right about it, rushing cover going together. I thought the defense, the secondary plastered well a couple of times that Browning escaped on that, you know, her big bolt in and, and sack, for example, and that the defense has to really hang in there and, and cover that for five, six seconds until Herbig finished that thing off. And, and they did. Um, but I thought the rush and played an impact too. I thought you talked about, I, I was going through the tape last night. I'll post this on Twitter uh, after we uh, wrap up the podcast, Jamar Chase, it was a coverage bust and Chase got wide open left side where Porter thought he was underneath and clouding and Thompson buzzed down and Chase is wide open, but Highsmith beat the left tackle, got pressure and, Fourth Browning to go into the left flat. And if, if Browning has time, that, that's probably a, a 60 yard touchdown. So I thought in moments you saw the defense plaster in the secondary, you know, allow the pass rush to get home and make plays, but also times where the pass rush got home that made up for the secondary. So I thought both sides helped each other out tremendously in this one. We found uh, uh, late last night uh, an interview that uh, Joey Porter Jr. just did with uh, Richard Sherman. Uh, only, I think, 14 minutes or so. But what was the specific quote that he said in there about the ball coming out so quick? You remember I think he that? just joked that you know the cornerback's job is easy because the ball's coming out so quick under that pass rush. You don't have to cover as long You know when you have T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith making life tough on quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, I, I joke or not, I mean, I think, I think that's a key statement. You know, sure. Uh, sure. Uh, what, you know, the, the talent that they have on defense with the rush does help in the fact that those corners aren't having to cut cover uh, in in regular uh, in structure plays. Yeah. What did you think of Porter? He was, you know, on chase. I think first snap of the game, you know, first third down of the game, pressing him, trying to jam him. He got knocked off balance a little bit. And I think he'll have to kind of work on that some that he can't just press his way to, to winning every single rep. But uh, he, he embraces the challenge. He wants to get physical. He wants to put hands on guys. And you know, he certainly can disrupt routes. Look, he's going to have some growing pains along the way here. The good thing right now is he's a he's on the field uh, every snap now. He's traveling with the top receivers. Uh, he's not taking a lot of lumps overall. Man, that that what what are you going to do on that one on that throw down down the side of Jamar Chase? I mean, yeah, some, it's a great ball break. I mean, sometimes the guy's going to win, you know. And the thing is, is is the you know, he put it behind him, you know, so mm-hmm. uh, he is getting experience, not only just on one side, he's traveling. He, they played a lot of zone in this one, right? I mean, it was it was really uh, heavy, heavily slanted, I think, to 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 zone in this game. Let me see if I can pull up the numbers on this uh, while, while we talk here. But uh, the, the fact is, is he's getting playing time. He's going against very good receivers and he's not taking a lot of lumps along the way. 
Yeah, I thought Pittsburgh was able to rotate coverage as well. And I was a little concerned about that with some of the newer pieces in the secondary, but you saw some too high to, you know, uh, cover three. And on the interception that Thompson had, they looked like maybe cover three pre-snap. They went to inverted cover two, Browning said after the game, and Thompson rolled out there to the flat and jumped in front of Chase to pick that one off. So I thought Browning struggled with, even on the uh, Casey near interception, that was a rotation there, post-snap rotation that Browning didn't react too well. And I just thought they kind of made life tough on a young a first start quarterback and kind of gave him some different looks and different pictures post snap. 75% zone coverage in this one, 24 snaps, six snaps of man coverage. Yeah. Um, you know, play zone, get eyes on the football. And, you know, I think again, just with some secondary issues on, on Pittsburgh side, um, just get eyes on the football and, and drive on it. And, and they did four man rush, uh, 28 plays. They blitzed just four times in this game. It was pretty selective. They had a couple of nickel blitzes. Of course, Sullivan almost had that one mm-hmm. and should have had that one. Um, but yeah, again, you just kind of drop seven, rush your four guys, and you know, don't don't overthink it. I, I, one other just quick note defensively, I'm going to probably do a video on this. It, it's, it seems so basic, but with a defense that's lost so many people, the communication I thought was really strong. These guys are very vocal and you know overly communica- uh, communicating, which is good. Uh, it's required when you have kind of young guys and uh, different people in different roles. So I just thought the communication... Uh, you could just tell it's very active. Got to focus uh, more on Trenton Thompson uh, in the All Twenty Two. Man, they might have something there. I, uh, the things that stick out with 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 with, with me with him is football IQ, uh, the angles that he takes, and really probably the, the most important thing is, uh, man, he he does a good job of coming up and breaking down and securing tackles. Yeah, he had that one on Mixon in the alley. Uh, I think early in that game, he filled it and made the tackle in the open field. So I've been really happy with this play since he you know, got signed mid-camp. And I think he's going to continue to have a role in his defense, even when Minka Fitzpatrick comes back, which we presume will be on Sunday. And I think the football IQ, too, just watching the quarterback size in that zone and buzzing the flat and, and just reading that all the way, uh, knowing his role in the defense on that particular play uh, and getting there and securing the, the, the football. Uh, that was that was a very, very, very important play in that game. Yeah, it was it was huge. It was because they were driving. And that is now and you mentioned this last week and I just pulled up the research late last night. But the seventh red zone turnover Pittsburgh's defense has created this year. That is um, the most in the NFL. No other team has more than five. And I forget the exact stat, but I think it's, you know, you to find teams to go through an entire season with seven or more red zone takeaways. It does not happen very often. So for Pittsburgh to do that with many games left to play, they may hold a pretty special number by year's end. I don't know if I'm Mike Tomlin, I'm, 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 I might be at this point more to the side of preaching more for, can you start getting us some turnovers on the other side of the field? <laughs> You're going full uh, Jacksonville game on me here, aren't you? Uh, look, I mean, uh, that's an incredible stat and that's what's enabled them to stay in a lot of these games and win a lot of these games uh, here. How about let's just not get to the point where we're having to rely on, 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 on the turnovers in your own end of the field. And, and they're, they're, they're due for a couple on the other side of the 50, I think. Yeah, I mean, they're getting a lot all over the place. How many takeaways did they have this season? How many is it? 20? 20. The stat. 20, yeah. So, I mean, they got 13. What's that, what's that magical on, stat that you'd like to throw? I'm not saying. I'm just saying. All right. <laughs> Super Bowl winners, is it? Is it I'm not 20, saying. I'm, I'm not there. But uh, you 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 had a great stat you know, a couple of years ago that, 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 you know, and when you look at it league-wide, 
man, they're up there in takeaways and they're not giving the football uh, away. They're what, plus 10 or plus 11 uh, at, at, at this point? Let me see if I can pull it up I think here. They're plus 11 tied first in the Yeah, plus, plus 11 tied with San Francisco uh, for, for net differential in takeaways. And when you look at total takeaways, uh, overall it's Buffalo at 22. That's the reason they've been hanging around for, for a long, uh, obviously San Francisco is good on both sides of the ball. They have 21 Buffalo has 21. The Steelers have 20. Um, there are obviously a lot of teams within striking (coughs) difference of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, any team with 17 or more, I would think at this point would be primed. Uh, a, a Super Bowl team, but of that list of of those teams, which is you know little less than half the league, how many of those teams are are seriously uh, Super Bowl contenders? You know, San Francisco, Buffalo potentially if they could get in, Jacksonville, Baltimore with the nineteen take takeaways. I, I'm not going to put Indianapolis in that group at eighteen. Uh, yeah. da- I- da- Dallas at seventeen. And obviously Pittsburgh's Pittsburgh's there with 20. Yeah. Now the extra game kind of maybe throws a wrench in sure. that stat I had because that was, I think, in the 16-game schedule. The number is probably closer to 25 turnovers as takeaways, what you're looking for. But Pittsburgh will be at or past that mark by year's end. Look, if they can – I was thinking about this at, you know, after the game and going through the all 22, man. If this, if this offense can take another step and a half or step in three quarters, I think – it might be needed here uh, in these final games. Um, this team might could uh, do more than win a playoff game. Ooh, I like it. I like the take. I mean, I'm just trying to get to the playoffs first and right. just, I mean, if the season ended today, they'd go. Look, they, they, they better be in the playoffs. If yeah. they're, if they're not in the playoffs right now at this point, coming off of this win, particularly, and seeing what you have seen, even though it was a, it was a look, it was a step forward for this offense. There's no two ways around it. You want to see more than 16 points, but it was a step in the right direction. Uh, and you look at, like you said, the schedule. You got the Cardinals. You got the uh, Patriots. You got the Colts, who might not have Jonathan Taylor for that game. You got the Bengals again. Uh, who knows what Seattle's going to be? Will will the Baltimore game even mean anything to Baltimore when we get to that point? And even if it does mean something, the Steelers know how to play Lamar Jackson. It will be a huge disappointment from where we're sitting right now if this team is not in the playoffs. Sure. And then the question becomes: Can they get the monkey off their back and 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 win a playoff game? If the if the playoffs began today, Pittsburgh would face Baltimore in Baltimore, correct? I believe that's how that would, would lay no, out. I thought it was the Dolphins, wasn't it? The Dolphins now? I thought yeah. it was, maybe, maybe that was last week, Baltimore. Uh, because I think uh, Baltimore is the number one seed right now. Or did they become the top seed, I guess? Yeah, Baltimore okay. is the number one seed. It All would right. be uh, the Steelers going to Miami. How do you think they match up against Miami with your kind of thought of this team could even do more than win a playoff game? Obviously, they have to win one, which would require in this scenario beating Miami in Miami. Uh, it would be a tough game. Uh, who uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to turn the tables on you here and not answer your question by <laughs> giving you a tougher question. Uh, who would you rather play Miami or Kansas City on the road right now? 
Oh, uh, that's tough. And, I, will and, I, and I will I will give my answer after that. <laughs> All right. That is a true setup of a of a question to turn the tables on me and then say it after. Um I will go Miami just because I know that Kansas City is lacking some of those those weapons, but man, just in arrowhead against Andy Reid, it's never gone well for Pittsburgh. And I just don't think it's gonna happen again. Miami has, I think, a, a ton of talent and obviously they're gonna be a big threat, you know, Hill, Waddle, et cetera. But they make some mistakes too. The Dolphins do, and I think Pittsburgh just might have a chance. I'm going to go the other way right now. At least we're things. Now, look, we we all know what uh, you know. Patrick Mahomes and Kelsey and 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 Andy Reid and you know, but their offense is still. They have not played their best game, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, Miami does a lot of creative stuff. I think that could cause the Steelers problems, and especially with some of that speed of theirs. I from now don't only hold hold me to this if I'm right down 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 later on in the season. If not, forget you know we'll we'll scrub this from the podcast. But <laughs> as as we sit right now, I'd rather see the Steelers play Kansas City in Kansas City uh, other than than Miami in in Miami. All right, fair enough. I respect it. That's, uh, that, I think that's certainly- a hot take. And not something you thought you would say at the start of the season. No. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, Kansas City certainly, they're almost in this Buffalo where they have a great quarterback. They have, you know, one defined weapon, Diggs and Buffalo, Kelsey and Kansas City. Are there other pieces that can pick up the slack since trading Hill? They have not really found that guy, you know, Sky Moore and Bryce and these other guys trying to fill that void. But I don't know. I just think you've seen the way that Kansas City has run circles around Pittsburgh before, just schematically even. And I just think of the playoffs, Andy Reid goes into his bag of tricks and you're along for the ride. Right. Look, and once again, you know, two games from now, Kansas City figure it out. You're thinking, oh, well, that that was a wrong hot take. Yeah. But let's get to that point and let's talk about that when the time comes. And I'm, I will, regardless, Kansas City or Miami put Pittsburgh in the playoffs and, you know, I'll, I'll take it and we'll we'll go from there. Uh, Keanu, back back to the Steelers defense. Keanu's playing real well. Uh, Larry Ogunjobi, even though you'd probably like to see more production, overall production from him. Uh, he's healthy. It it, 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 it it seems uh, interesting conversation that spurred a post out of you this morning on SteelersDepot.com. Uh, what's eating DeMarvin instead of what's he eating mm-hmm. Gilbert Grape? Uh, what's eating DeMarvin Leal? The lack of a pass rush. I'm guessing his snap counts have really been almost nothing. I think, what is it, 12 snaps over the last three games, one of which was a kneel down, and we've seen Lottie Moak play over him, and Watts play over him, and Adams is coming back. We assume Adams will come back this weekend, and you know we'll see what who's, who's the odd man out in that situation, but it's been curious with Leal because he was this great athlete coming out of A&M. Our question was, could he hold up against a run? To me, it's now the opposite, where I think his run defense is actually pretty, pretty solid. His, his hand use and ability to, to disengage and shed blocks in the run game has been very, very good, but the pass rush is not there and really has not been there. There's no real good plan, no good moves, and he's not playing in sub-packages right now. So I think that's been the biggest hang-up and a pretty big surprise with Leal's development. I, I would agree there, and it'll be interesting to see if Montrevious Adams does come back this week, uh, who, 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 who the inactive is of that group. What right. if what if it's Leal? Hmm. It's trending that way. I mean, now you made the point of in week nine, the kind of the one time they were all, all healthy post week one, Watts was down and Watts has been playing more because he's gotten back up. No stackle snaps behind Ben with Adams out. So I think it's either Watts or Leal, but just based on snap count, I'm leaning towards Leal being on. Oh, and look, Watts is in some limited playing time. 
I mean, I, I'm not putting him in the Pro Bowl, but I he's shown up a couple times, especially in the pass rush. Yeah, he's been he's a solid veteran. You know, he's a rotational guy. That's it. But yeah, I, I mean, you could do a lot worse than him as like a number five, number six defensive lineman. So anyway, if you're listening to this, the whole point of it is, man, Leal's snaps have, have dwindled. You got Montrevious Adams. Pro- we'll see if he comes back this week. Watch the Sunday inactive list because there might be more conversation to be. I wonder. I I wish Mike Tomlin would have been asked about that yesterday. You know? Yeah, I'd love to know. I don't and, know what answer he would have given you. And at this point, uh, for the media members that listen uh, to this show, uh, Terrell Austin, when he speaks on Thursday, be interested to hear him asked about Leal just mm-hmm. to see yeah. just to see how he handles that. Yeah. Do you get the same read? Is it the pass rush, the lack thereof that's holding Leal back, do you think? Yeah, it might be all of it. Be honest with you. I mean, how much he had, he has had some moments as a run stopper, obviously earlier in the season, right? Mm-hmm. He is a smaller guy, but I just think at the run defense, I thought that was going to be his big issue coming out of the uh, A&M because he was a tweener type, but I think actually it's the opposite now with a pass rush. It's not there. Here, here's the thing in these final, uh, final, final half of the season here. Hopefully we're talking more positive to, uh, about, about DeMarvin Leal getting snaps and playing well all, all the way around. That 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 that's what we need to hope for. Or it could be he's in street clothes because they're all healthy and he's not even getting the opportunity. You know, the, the twelve snaps he would kill for twelve snaps and be by by season's end. I, I I don't know, but we'll we'll see how things look on Sunday. Want to note as well, a bit more obvious, but I have the other article this morning: the Cam Hayward effect, uh, the run defense weeks one through eight. Pittsburgh ranked 27th in yards per carry, 23rd in rushing yards since Hayward returned weeks 9 through 12. Pittsburgh 8th in rushing yards allowed, 7th in yards per carry. I didn't pull run success rates, but you can imagine that the run defense has been really good. It's no coincidence Pittsburgh has been really winning the line of scrimmage defensively and shutting down run games uh, as soon as Cam Hayward came back. He's not at 100%. You've noted that. Hayward admitted that. He's He does not run well. He's still running like he's got a board between his legs. Like he's really kind of awkwardly, <laughs> like like he just uh, went to the bathroom or something. Like, he's like he to just got bathroom. off a horse or something. Yeah, something like that. But um, I mean, the run defense is still, still excellent. Yesterday, what does it say right now that uh, this team has not had, uh, obviously, they're, they're, you know, Atlanta Roberts and Cole Holcomb and, uh, Minka for the last four games. What what does it say about this defense overall? About the team, I think it's a resilient bunch, man. They really, as Tomlin says, they don't blink. They have that standard is the standard mentality, and they kind of fight through it. But I think it's a defense that has not been in a, an elite group, but has really made big splash plays. And if you're not going to be an elite group, which is tough to do, especially in the modern NFL, there's a couple defenses that are doing it, but but Pittsburgh probably not in that group currently. Uh, especially with all the injuries, but when you can force takeaways and create big plays, sacks and turnovers and interceptions, force fumbles, that type of stuff, that's a great way to, to to keep yourself in the game. Man, if they can eliminate some of these explosive plays and if they could get on some of them, uh, 11 guys on the field, you know. Uh, yeah, and they have been better about the big plays. Granted, facing backup quarterbacks, DTR didn't right. even try to throw the ball downfield and you got Browning and you're going to face kind of some more less seller quarterbacks going forward. But I haven't seen, it hasn't been the issue that it was earlier in the year. Man, you keep uh, keeping teams to 17 or fewer points on the scoreboard. You're going to give yourself a shot. Yeah. I mean, what is it like six straight games, 20 points or less? Did you mention that? I forget who mentioned that. Uh, 
on Monday. What, what, what streak is Pittsburgh on right now? In terms I, of points? I, uh, I'll have to, somebody had the average of what was it like 15 points, 15.3 or something like that. The last, let's see. Yeah. Seven straight games of 20 points or fewer. Pittsburgh okay. held the, the opponent under uh, only, only two games this year. Pittsburgh has allowed more than 23 points. That was their two losses or two blowout defeats to uh, San Francisco and Houston. So put those games aside just for a moment. We're good teams and, and should not discount that, but Pittsburgh's defense has really kept the score down. And this sets up good these next three games right now. So, Yeah, it does. All right, Dave, I just want to note here before we get to some reader emails, close out today's show. Deontay Johnson just spoke with the media about mm. 10, 15 minutes ago. He took accountability. He said uh, it will not happen again. Recognized it was a bad look on film. Uh, talked to his teammates, uh, speaking to the media, saying all the right things there. So good for he him. owned it. Yeah, good for him. He owned it. Held himself responsible for it, as he should. Let's all move on. Let's hope for a good game on Sunday. And let's not talk about hopefully any of that stuff uh, the rest of the season here. Amen to that. All right, Dave, any other final thoughts? If not, we can get to some reader emails and close out today's show. All right, let's start with Gregory Hoffman writes in. Hello, Alex and Dave. I really like the podcast. It has led me to a deeper understanding of, of the Steelers and football in general. Well, good, Greg. That's the, that's the goal. Excited to hear that for sure. Thank you for the feedback on that. Two questions. Thinking about Joe Burrow's injury, there was a dispute about if he was hurt before the Cincinnati-Baltimore game. What responsibility does the team have to report injuries and what makes an injury? For example, does a stub toe land you on the on the report? Also, I assume they sign away any HIPAA rights to, to, uh, to play. Is your listenership higher or lower after a loss, uh, P.S. Neil O'Donnell got a r- bad rap in Pittsburgh. He says from 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 Greg. Uh, let's 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 go through this here. What responsibility does the team have to report injuries and what makes an injury? For example, does a stub toe look? I, I it goes to practice level participation. Obviously, uh, Alex is still mad that they've done away with a probable tag, but but the everyone ten- should be mad at the probable because that's important to know. Like, because questionable, you, you never know. All right, uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm gonna go go right past that, but okay. uh, uh, st- the the short answer is don't really, really, really know the responsibility for a stub toe or something like that. Uh, I. If you if you want to keep yourself, you know, out of the the league's window, if you will, you would have a a, a Walgreens uh, register receipt like Bill Belichick li- likes to do quite a bit, or like the Texans did uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the big thing is obviously the, the quarterback position being so so prominent, and all all of this ties into betting, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> for for for, sure. for 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 the most part, uh, there there is the gamemanship aspect of it as well too. Um, the quarterback position, and obviously Burrow being caught with that wrap or or that that compression thing or whatnot. Uh, I think in the airport or wherever that was, and then him even wasn't there another report that was kind of flexing that thing pregame or in pre- I forget. Uh, there's been so many different reports on that. Uh, it 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 is and always probably will be for some time something to talk about when it comes to properly listing players on the injury report. Yeah, you said it well, Dave. I think 
practice participation is the biggest driver of the injury report. If you're not practicing at normal 100% capacity, that has to be listed uh, for whatever, you know, limited usually is what, what that turns to. My only... And, 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 th- and those practice take and, and teams have to film practices and league ha- the league has access to that stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, if a guy misses one rep uh, in his turn in line, is that deemed, you know, limited participation? Well, you know? that's a whole gray area of rabbit holes that, that you could probably sure spend eight hours down. The only thing I'm not sure is like the guy that practices in full, but then gets listed with the injury and in the practice in full not entirely sure what, what bar has to be met to kind of have that pop up. Is that if you're getting treatment, does that, does that, does that mean you have to be, be put on the report, even if you're fully participating? I'm not 100% sure kind of where that line is for the NFL in that regard. Greg, uh, once again, short, short, and, and as far as the hip, do they have to sign away any HIPAA rights? I mean, I, I don't know the legalese behind all that. I mean... Obviously. Yeah, I mean, there's still protection. I mean, there's the injury report, but there's not this carte blanche to have your medical history released right. by the uh, by the team. Uh, what do you think about Neil O'Donnell got a bad rap in Pittsburgh? Heck of a chaser on that email, that <laughs> just out of the left field. Um, you probably can answer that better than I can. Remember the Super Bowl? I, I would, I would tend to lead lead uh, lean with Greg here. I think he did get a little bit of a bad rap. I mean, uh, he'll he'll forever be remembered for those Super Bowl interceptions, right? Yeah, which is a hard thing to forget in fairness. So right. it may be true, but you throw two picks in the Super Bowl. That's kind of your legacy. Uh, Deshaun Campbell, sup, guys? Can you possibly see uh, uh, Darius Rush and uh, Thompson have significant roles next year on this defense, possibly as starters? I feel like the Steelers are getting younger in the secondary, just not in, in, in the traditional way, hoping for the young veterans signing of a guy like Jalen Johnson, he says, to go along with this group. Uh, also, a few years back, you guys uh, advertised a popcorn store in Vegas. I ordered a few bags years ago with some of the best popcorn I've ever had. Can you please tell me the name of that place so I can place an order again? Thanks. Uh, no, I will not advertise for that uh, popcorn site uh, in, in Vegas again, we, uh, they ended up stiffing us on some advertising stuff there. The guy ended up being not that good of a guy to deal with overall. I will leave it at that. I will, however, tell you that I have found a new popcorn place, uh, here in Las Vegas that, uh, fantastic. It's called the popcorn girl. Uh, and you can find them online. I think it's popcorngirl.com. But, uh, I, I, anytime I get over to the Summerlin side of town, which is quite often on a Saturday, I go and get me a couple of bags over there and they see me coming, uh, (laughs) for for sure. The staff is very, very friendly over there. It is an in-store brick and mortar, uh, place. So, uh, popcorn's absolutely fantastic once again. So if you're looking to order some popcorn online for Christmas and you want to support my neck of the woods, the popcorn girl. So I will just leave it at that. Very good popcorn. Uh, and I love me some good popcorn. Uh, Paul Brown writes in David Alex in the weekly Tom and press conference. Oh, what uh, glossed over the first part of it. Got, <laughs> the rush. Got, yeah. Part. Uh, I think it's. Uh, Deshaun, I, th- I think it's way too early to tell, particularly with a guy like Rush right now. Uh, uh, overall, uh, I, I think Thompson has represented himself really well. I think there is something there to to sit here at this point right now and talk about him potentially being a starter. 
uh, next year. I think I think it's I think it's too early for that, but there is something definitely with with there with him as far as Rush goes. The fact that Rush is getting on the field, uh, having not gotten on gotten on the field, you know, when he when he arrived with Pittsburgh, the first snaps that he got in Tennessee against Tennessee, that was a bit eye opening. Uh, there, uh, I, I will just say this there. They've got two prospects to look at when it comes to next year's roster. And even if it isn't as a starter, it's as it's it's as depth. You said that really well, Dave. I'm with you. It's too early to conclude about starters. These are young guys getting their first significant snaps of their career. Rush has like what, 40 career snaps right now. Thompson, 60 or 70 or so. So we're going to keep watching. I can see it with Thompson, maybe a bit more than Rush in terms of pure mm-hmm. starter at the moment. But. And we're going to keep watching, evaluating uh, those guys will be back next year and have a chance to really, you know, make their mark with a full season, a full off season with a team. Neither of them, you know, Thompson signed in August, Rush signed a month ago, whatever it was uh, to go through, through a full cycle with the team will be really valuable. Uh, Paul Brown writes in David Ox in the weekly Tomlin conference press conference. Uh, Coach T mentioned the status of Minka and Montrevious as hopeful to play this weekend versus the Cardinals with Keanu Benton making the most of his opportunity with the injury to Adams. Do you see the Steelers giving more playing time to Benton? Uh, he says the Steelers website shows Benton as the second string behind Adams, but ha- but has he earned a starting spot with his play? If not, what do you believe the Steelers reasoning for keeping uh, Adams in over Benton? Uh, first and foremost, we 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 run and look. Uh, we're guilty of it too. As soon as that game release comes out on Tuesday, uh, or ahead of the Mike Tomlin press conference, we all run to it to see what the printed uh, depth chart looks looks like. Uh, we do that only just to have conversation pieces only because I don't think some. I don't. I think sometimes Mike Tomlin puts effort into it. Sometimes he doesn't. Other times he sends messages. And the only reason I think Benton uh, is listed behind Montrevious Adams is just, hey, don't get too full of yourself. Uh, even if Montrevious Adams uh, is healthy enough to play at this point, that's that's Benton. The bulk of the snaps have got to go to Benton at this point. Right, Alex? He played 50 yeah. 51%, 52% against Cincinnati. Obviously, you got to rotate those guys uh, through in some nickel-type situations and, and that kind of stuff. But but Bitten is your guy in the middle of base. Yeah, he has to be. And so I would expect that even when Adams does return, which we believe, we'll see, but we believe it'll be this weekend, Benton should still start, still play the majority of the snaps at nose tackle over Montrevious Adams. It, it's just a veteran thing, and Tom yeah. referring to the veteran and kind of giving him his due there. Um, Adams will still play. He's had a good season. We praised him. I, I was okay with Pittsburgh kind of slow playing Benton and kind of getting him up to speed and kind of getting his feet wet and then ramping things up, which of course was really you know, uh, necessitated by the injury to, to Adams. But I think Benton even admitted that it was good for him to kind of not have a full plate at the start of the year to kind of work his way in, make some mistakes, learn the game. He's improved a lot. I think his, his, his anticipation and just processing has gotten really good in terms of blocking schemes and film study. Uh, the technique with his hands has, has improved. His run defense has gotten better. So I'm really happy with not only the play of Benton, of course, but how Pittsburgh has handled Benton, kind of brought him along his first season. You know, one of the knocks that I had on Benton uh, 
coming out of the, the, you know, the senior bowl last year and then looking at his tape and all was the balance aspect of his game, man, he has got that squared away for the most part. Yeah. Now. Last time he saw that guy on the ground. I, I can't remember last time he was on. The, I on the mean, and he's staying square, uh, boy, that arm over and, uh, that he has not only in the, in the, as a pass rusher, but in, 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 in the run game, uh, he's understanding what he's, what he's doing now more, uh, uh, and, and that obviously comes with more snaps in that defense, uh, that club that he uses. Uh, and maybe it, somebody asked me this on Twitter yesterday, Alex, and maybe it's recency bias on my part. And in and, and no way is this disrespect to Javon Hargrave. But uh, at this point, and, and I, I think it took a little bit longer for Hargrave to kind of get the snaps that, that, that Benton has. Benton feels like he's further along than Hargrave was during his rookie season at this point. But once again, that, that might be distant memory, recency bias. How do you come in on that? Um, yeah, I, I, it, I see a lot of to it in Benton, to be honest. I think the body types just, I mean, Benton is a little bit, bit thicker because he's more nose tackle and to it was more end, but just kind of the way that they move in their hips to me, is like to it, to a T. I mean, I think, as you mentioned, that kind of club over move that Benton has is maybe the most textbook kind of technical move you ever see. I think TJ Watt made a comment about that show. Was he on McAfee? He was on somebody's show and kind of, you know, mimic that move. And like, that's the way that you draw it up. And usually most guys can't actually do it that way. I got a gif of uh, Carl Dunbar at a coaching clinic in Minnesota showing off that kind of maneuver, that kind of club and swim. And uh, Benton does it the exact same way. So it's really impressive. But, uh, you know, I mean, Hargrave was a small school kid. He was South Carolina State and Benton, Wisconsin. So that might have been a part of that transition, transitional process. But either way, um, Benton's going to be a heck of a player. Sure is. Uh, let's get a couple more. Adam Gesk writes in, uh, hey, guys, good win. Can you explain a couple of things? What's the rule about practice squad elevation? Sounds like you get a couple of uh, times a year. Can you add a practice squad player as a 54th man on the roster? That's question number one. The second one is about Trent Thompson and his contract status. I feel like safety is our third biggest need behind tackle and cornerback, but having a cheap backup and potential starter, if things keep going like they have, uh, like Thompson would be a great find. Let's start with the second one uh, first. Uh, Thompson's contract, I believe, ends after this season, but however, comma, he's an exclusive rights free agent. So uh, all you have to do is give him a minimum exclusive rights tender after the season. He has to sign it and he's back. And I think trying to think how many, how many credited years does he have? Real quick, uh, he was only he was a rookie last year. Only appeared in one game. Okay, so he so did, credit this, for that, right? This right, this will be his only credited season, I think. So if you want to look, if you if you want to get real bullish on this exclusive rights free agent after this season, easily retained exclusive rights free agent after the 2024 mm. season. It's back which, to back. I didn't realize it was back to back. Uh, which is easily re- retainable and. You're you're saying let me, let me look real quick on him. Uh, if he has, because you have to have three credited seasons to even be a restricted free agent. Right. Uh, he has. I'm pulling it up right now. You're right. He only had one game. Assuming they have this listed right, he wasn't on at least the active roster 
Yeah, I don't know if he was an. Let me look at the game. Let me look at the game logs real quick from from last season. It's got him as did not play, uh, but it did not list him as inactive. It is all going to come back to that 2022 season, whether or not he was on that, uh, whether or not he got a credit. But let, let's just assume that uh, he did not get a a a credited season in 2022, which on the surface, it does not look like he did, then he'd be an exclusive rights free agent after this season, exclusive rights free agent after the 2024 season, and exclusive rights free agent. No, he'd be restricted, I think, after the 2025 season, which obviously could be if you want him easily retained with a restricted tender. So he's yours if you want him for for the next presumable presumable future. We've seen the Steelers go down this road with with fines before, right? Yes, Blaine I think was one of them. Right, the squad of the came up. So whenever Thompson signed his contract to officially join the fifty three man roster, it became just a one year deal for the right. for the uh, minimum. Right. Okay. To, gotcha. to my knowledge, that's his contract right now. And then for the elevations, you can elevate a player three times in a season, and then after that third time. The third time he goes back to the practice squad, right? But if you want to elevate him again, you have to either sign him to the 53 right. or he has to, to go through waivers or whatever the process is. Right. Uh, after the third time, you have to move him up, I believe. Uh, if you want it, you, he has to be part of the active roster. He can't be part of an elevation there. And and on top, you know, his more his question, I think, is more along the lines, can you add a practice squad player as a 54 player? Here, here's the rule on that. For, for your game day active inactive roster it can be uh 55 in total so you can have two elevations if you want on on let's say games on sunday you would make these on saturday afternoon uh so you could technically have carry into game day a 55 man roster and then to dress 48 players in a game you have to have eight offensive linemen part of the active uh, list. So you would have seven inactive players overall. And obviously in the Steeler situation, one of those is going to be Mason Rudolph as the, as the listed as the emergency quarterback there. So in any given week, if you need to be needed to, and, and you had a 53 man roster going into the weekend, you could elevate two guys from your practice squad to be 54 and 55, then make your decisions on game day of who your seven inactive players would be. And then following the game, those two players that you elevated would revert back to the practice squad. Right. Which is happening to Tariq Carpenter, the linebacker, for example, the last uh, couple of, of weeks. And yeah, so just to be clear, you can never have more than 48 active for, for an actual game to dress and play in the right. game. And the reason why there are even inactives to begin with, as Kevin Colbert once said many years ago, uh, was for a competitive balance health aspect. So if you just had, if you didn't have inactives and just, you know, Player 53, somebody had five players that were hurt and somebody had one player that was hurt on another team. That's a competitive uh, imbalance between health. Uh, so that's why there were inactives there to try to make it a, a fairer playing field. So teams that aren't uh, ravaged by injuries aren't kind of hurting and having just less players at their disposal. All right. One more for, from uh, Chris Furland. Uh, hey, guys, just wondering what you what you realistically think Canada could have said or been doing that had Kenny playing so scared and reserved. I keep telling myself there's no way Canada was completely responsible for Kenny's poor play, but quarterbacks need confidence to play well. And he just looked completely different against the Bengals. Uh, how would you best answer that question, knowing only what we know? And not acting like we know more than we know. 
So the question being, why was what do you think was going on that made Pickett play so scared? Is that yeah? The- what what you realistically think Matt Canada could have said or been doing that had Kenny playing so scared and reserved is is the root of the question. I mean, my thought, and I, I still think it's true, is Pittsburgh's model is run the ball, play good defense, let's keep the score down, and we can't afford turnovers offensively. When we turn the ball over offensively, most times we lose. Did not lose against the Bengals, but at least they were just, I think, even in the turnover differential there. So Pittsburgh's model since the bye last year has been to take great care of the football and you know really keep the score down as defense you know win games. So I think that's kind of been the mantra Pittsburgh has either – explicitly or implicitly, you know, said at times to, to, to this offense and to Kenny Pickett of ball security is the number one thing we have to focus on even more so than it is for the 31 other offenses. So I think that's just kind of the mentality Pittsburgh has been proceeding with since essentially since the by last year. And look, other than a couple of throws to Firemuth down the middle, I mean, the big differences were schematically and, and personnel. Yeah, yeah, there was. I mean, I I just felt like there was more rhythm for the offense, and that's why Pickett kind of felt like he was playing with more aggression. Uh, the final thing to this email, P.S., if Alex doesn't watch Rocky soon, me and many others may be forced to boycott Steelers Depot, <laughs> as I just can't support a podcast where 50% of the hosts never saw a Rocky movie. Uh, I even named my dogs Apollo and Creed. So, uh, Alex, you're going to risk uh us losing some listeners uh here that's what brings us down of all the things it's my uh lack of a movie watching i watched that clip you sent of the the win and that that whole thing from rocky yeah, that's good enough i get i can quote it enough to, to be passable in, in conversation all right i got one more that i got to get to here if i can find it here uh vamp for me for a minute here i don't know where where it went it uh, looks like we have players talking of injury report coming out later today. Probably a longer episode here with the uh, John Harris interview. But again, we uh, we thank him for that. Might have read a couple of articles, some excerpts from that book to kind of give you guys some more to look for and hopefully to go uh, buy the book. All right. Uh, just so we don't get accused of not reading critical e- emails here. Uh, this from from D Battle. Dear Dave and Alex. It amazes me how someone who's never played organized football can be so critical about negative plays when it was so much positive to speak of. Alex, you seem Mm. to be, uh uh-oh, buckle up, Alex. Alex, you seem to be extremely critical about 16 third down attempts instead of the fact that not counting the kneel down 50%, they were 50% on third down. Alex, or he doesn't use Alex here, but he says, I would respect your opinion a little more even if you played Pop Warner. Try not crucifying players as much as you do and try seeing it from their perspective. Now, when you're right, I agree with you, but just like you criticize so harshly, you come off like you're an ex-player or coach. These guys deserve more respect from you than you give. The podcast is getting way too nitpicky. Alex, do you still have Pop Warner eligibility? I did play some YMCA flag football, if that counts. I don't know if it's any better than Pop Warner. Um, no, we, we, we appreciate the criticism. Uh, we can take it. And, and the first thing I always do with criticism is ask, are you right about that? With the third down comment, I mean, I, I made mention of it, but I, I was not crit- I was not like hypercritical of it. I just said, you know, maybe 16 third downs is maybe a bit more than what you would ideally like to have as an offense. But 
I think I mentioned that once or twice. I didn't spend an hour talking about it, and I gave him credit. I said third down offense was was huge in this game to be eight to sixteen to be fifty percent after being twenty five percent two weeks before um, was was a huge difference in this game. So I, I don't feel like I was being really critical in terms of the other criticism that I'm not entirely sure what he's referencing. Um, but when this team, I, I, I just try to be fair. When, when the team something bad is happening, I will say something bad has happened. If something good is happening, I will say something good has happened. It's never as bad as it seems, never as good as it seems. I try to be just really fair to these guys and said positives, negatives about all these all these players. So um, if there are maybe uh, specific examples of, of the criticism that, that you didn't like and was maybe too nitpicky, you know, feel free to bring uh, any additional ones. But I just try to be really fair to these guys. How much you weigh these days, Alex? Ooh, coming in at, I think, a scorching buck 30 this morning. So I don't know. You could, light, you could probably flash. still... Uh... What are some of the Pop Warner rules on? on, <laughs> you can on sneak weight? me in. Yeah, look if you if you shaved uh, your chin there, you could probably I, pass, couldn't you? I think they would still be better than me, so I don't want to embarrass myself even more by getting schooled by Pop Warner kids. If we could get your your Pop Warner eligibility, because look, this is going to play critical into uh, your opinion being respected a little bit more uh, if you play Pop Warner. So I think we <laughs> need to need to look into this. If you could go. If you could play Pop Warner, what position do you think you you would want to play? Uh, I want to be a special teamer, man. I want to go run down some kicks and punts and Pop Warner. I guess would be my thing. I'll be you. The, you I'll would be the cheaty, the cheaty, the cheaty. I will. Would you of, be a uh, gunner? How how do you run? Not well. <laughs> Not, nothing athleticism is is good in my category. I think gunner though. I, I bring out my inner cheaty for sure. You think you could be physical enough in Pop Warner to make some, no. make some plays? Oh, no chance. They would they would kick my butt. I would be destroyed. Um, but but to, to go back to the critique, I mean, I, I mean, I obviously don't make any bones about my my lack of, of playing uh, days and resume and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I, I try not to, not to be arrogant, but I'm not going to sit there and say, well, I I don't want to be so mealy mouth or so. You know, I think or, you know, just so careful in the approach. I'm going to give my opinion. It's my opinion. People are, you know, able to disagree and I'm right, uh, hopefully more than I'm wrong, but I'm certainly wrong and things can be debated. So I'm not shielding myself from that, um, but I appreciate the uh, the feedback. All right, D battle. There you go. Uh, we, we will work on checking into Alex's Pop Warner eligibility and hopefully you continue listening here. All right. I- anything else, Alex? Nope. Uh, yeah, appreciate the uh, the questions. A probably longer show today. Players are speaking now, so we'll come back Friday. Have a uh, Cardinals beat uh, beat guy on to talk about Arizona and get ready for the game. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at Steelers Depot. You can follow Alex Kazora at Alex underscore Kazora. Follow the show at Terrible Podcast. Email the show the Terrible Podcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do, want to send us uh, uh, an email the Terrible Podcast at gmail.com. If you want to donate, SteelersDepot.com. Hit the donate button. Also, if you like an ad free version, SteelersDepot.com. Hit the ad free button. So until Friday, as always, thanks for listening to the Terrible Podcast with Dave and Alex.